Hey, this is Courtney Yates, and you are listening to Survivor Historians. And now, here are four guys who are definitely not getting a fist bump. And welcome to Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that has less chance of sticking around than Randy Bailey. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. I'm a villain. Uh, I'm Mike Bloom. I can't wait to name my incoming child Houston Astros, baby. Do you guys know that that feeling when like you're about to bungee jump and you kind of get that like knot in your stomach? That's kind of what I'm feeling right now. Uh, I'm Paul Oslison. And here we are on our unannounced surprise coverage of Survivor Heroes vs. Villains, which is probably the most famous and popular Survivor season. And uh, this is something we wanted to kind of drop on people without uh, any uh, fanfare, just because it was a nice, nice little Thanksgiving present. But this is our gift to you, our beloved readers. Here we are, finally, season 20, Heroes vs. Villains. I feel like well, we should, like, you know, have a podcast that people talked about listening to the historians, you know, so they could get the the context of they were there because you just talked about this unannounced surprise drop of heroes versus villains. <laughs> which part is the one, exact opposite. Like, <laughs> which like, you know, someone who's literally like finding our feed all in the future, they're just like, well, it's just the next one in chronological order. I don't understand what the big deal is. Well, I thought you were going to say it's the exact opposite of the actual season of heroes versus villains, which well, did not drop that. very unexpectedly on the season. <laughs> Well, okay, first, before we get into any of that, I just want to say congratulations, Jay. We have now made it 20 seasons on Historians together. Oh, my God. Yeah, as opposed to you other clowns who weren't here for half the time. But, Jay, we've made it. We're here. We did it. I mean, for better or for worse, uh, listeners, I've been on every episode of Historians. (laughs) (laughs) Despite all our best efforts, by the way. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I may have I may have fallen asleep in one or two of the episodes, but you know what? It's fine. We're we're good. It's fine. I I'm gonna I'm gonna soldier through. I I, I feel I feel good. I feel, Mario. I feel like I could do twenty more seasons of of Survivor podcasts, and and I and I think mentally I'm just I'm I'm there for it. <laughs> All right, and and so you shall, Jay. That, yeah, that's well, a verbal that's, contract. I was gonna say that's binding. Now you have witnesses here. <laughs> I mean, that's good. That's good. It's, it's but, you know, it, it, it'll only be good if, you know, you can start passing me notes and stuff during camp and, you know, things like that. All right. I'm so excited. Jay's raring to go. He's actually going to be in this podcast. So, uh, OK, before we delve too far into this, are you guys excited about heroes versus villains? And I know that's a really long 10 minute answer for each person. But the first question is, 
is this one of your favorite seasons? Because it seems to be almost everybody's favorite season. On any fan list of Survivor seasons, Heroes versus Villains will always be number one, or at least in the top five. It's universally beloved. I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on this before we delve into it. Well, I can start because I guess it might be a bit of a, a hot take. I will say I like this season. Might not be one of my favorites. Uh, just because, you know, I have this idea that the survivor seasons that I'll almost always want to go back to are the ones that come off of this core concept of 16 to 20 strangers who don't know each other stranded on an island trying to build a society together and summarily vote one another off and returning player seasons mucks that up a little bit Uh, and while I will say this cast in particular it's so much fun to watch some of these big characters and legends and players from previous seasons come back together and do battle. It doesn't exactly provide that that spark for me. And I will say the other thing that sort of muddied the water for me, especially when I was watching it at the time, was we were fed a lot of Russell Hance uh, over the course of the entire fall of 2009. And come spring 2010, it is Russell's season once more. And so by the end of it, I was just ready to sort of like get on with it so I could not think about Russell for at least a little while. Little do we know that that would be pervading Survivor conversation for the largest portion of time. So I'll admit my view of this season is a little tampered by that. Now, going back and watching this first batch of episodes, I think the general consensus is that the pre-merge is the best part of the season, and it definitely holds up. There's some really, really incredible stuff in there. I'd say this season is probably in my top 10, maybe top 15, but I would say probably not my top five. How about you, Mr. Ostelson? Paul? Uh-oh. Paul told us before the podcast he's been drinking wine, and I think it might be his first alcohol ever, <laughs> so he may have collapsed. That could be true. Poor guy. Uh, I'll go while we're uh, re- reviving Paul. For some okay, reason. go for it. Um, and, and I, I really like the medical the team that... to take care of this. <laughs> hey, Paul, can you poop, mate? Paul! <laughs> Paul, drink that wine, mate. Can you poop? Okay, we're we're not getting a response. Um, it, I I, really, I liked the uh, the preface that it was going to be a ten minute answer for everyone, and then Mike took ten minutes. It was fantastic. <laughs> Listen, you know me well enough to to understand that that's my brand at this point. That is that is true. Gregarious speeches. It it was incredibly on brand, and for that I thank you and I love you. But um, I don't know. I'm trying to come up with an apt analogy because I I feel like I'm analogy guy, where I like try to come up with something. Uh, sort of clever in in that sort of sense. I feel like Heroes versus Villains, I like the season. And I think that I would be doing a disservice if I want to say some hipster answer like, oh, I don't like it because everybody likes it or something like that. I don't think it is one of my favorite seasons, but I don't really have a ton super negative to say other than it's really rustly. But, you know, what are you going to do at that point? You know, Russell is... As we've podcasted about him in in Survivor Samoa, he's a tour de force in and of himself. And whether you like him, hate him, respect him, don't respect him or anything like that, the dude generates television. And this is just basically part two of this two-season saga of just Russell Hance dominating the Survivor airwaves. So it's just something we have to kind of go with. But I think that the thing that makes this work Um, as opposed to, and I like this season a lot more than I like Survivor All-Stars, which I know seems in a way sort of 
um, counterintuitive in the sense that I don't like returnee seasons and I usually like earlier seasons as opposed to later seasons. So why don't I like all-stars as compared to this one? I think more pressure is kind of off with this one. Like I think everyone sort of had this, you know, survivor was this thing back in all-stars where it was like, it was this untouchable entity and then seeing people kind of get poked down and, and seeing all these personalities change. And then not only that, but the people within the game took everything so, so seriously with their whole, like, I need to cement a legacy or do better on my legacy or something like that. Whereas with heroes versus villains, they just kind of, you know, yes, people wanted to go out there and win and all that sort of stuff, but it seemed looser. I don't know if there's a, the, uh, I don't know if you agree or not, but that's that's something that I think, at least, is that the cast seemed looser, like they were just there to they were there to play. I mean, obviously they were there to win, but I think that it was less for most of them, not everyone. I'm not gonna say that with a with a blanket statement, but for most of them, they were trying they they weren't so concerned with like trying to cement themselves in some sort of survivor pantheon at this point. Well, I think to that point I might add that something there are certainly elements of this season that are very personal. I mean, the first few yeah. tribal councils are all going to be about who knows who from what season. But I think what's yeah. really missing is the fact that, you know, we're 20 seasons in as opposed to eight. And so the pool of Survivor contestants has grown bigger. And as such, it's not really a tight-knit community anymore. Right. So, you know, there, we don't really have those Boston Rob Lex moments happening, at least not on screen. And so I think that there is more of a head of gamesmanship to your point jay than there is really about you know really personal based relationships and friendships and maybe that's a product of a all-star sort of providing that motto of hey we're gonna sort of go with game above stuff outside of the game and b just the fact that it, there's a so many more survivor contestants that your tysons are not going to be best friends with your amandas all right, we've heard from uh, Mike and Jay. Let's cut back to Paul. And I should point out that after you started your podcast with a, an Amanda quote, I immediately cut your feed, Paul. So <laughs> welcome back. You've uh, you've been forgiven. He's Thanks. been revived, Mike. He's been revived. Thanks for letting me back in. I had a lot of the same sentiments that Jay uh, was just talking about. I feel like Heroes is the all-stars that the show wanted, that we wanted as fans. And I think there is a part of us, like Jay was saying, as as historians to you know, challenge the narrative of this being a really good season. But there's not too much I can complain about in this season. I think this is the all-stars that we were promised. So I'm really excited to jump into it. I think it's a really important turning point in terms of the show, which we can talk about as we move along. Um, but, I mean, it's just so big. There's so many great characters in it. There's so much history behind these people. So I think it's just fantastic. I can't wait to talk more about it. Yeah, for me, this is one of those seasons that I've always... It's weird because I've always kind of had a block around saying that I enjoy it, which is weird because, you know, we're not supposed to spoil who the winner is, but I'm very excited about who our winner is going to be. And this should be one of those seasons that I really love. But then on the flip side, I was so anti All-Stars and I'm like, Jay, I just don't like the dynamic. Or I think Mike said it, actually, the dynamic of returning players. I just don't think that's Survivor. So it's weird for me trying to reconcile those two things in my head. And then plus it's, We'll get more into it as we get into the podcast, but it's just, to me, it just seems like it's exactly like All-Stars, that all the big-name characters get taken out early, and you kind of have the lesser people left at the end, and this is where my view of Survivor history kind of differs from other people when I start thinking of people like Parvati as being a lesser character and not really significant. So it, it's really odd for me to reconcile the season, 
And like we we talked about it when we got to Micronesia that I was quite shocked when I learned that Micronesia was being bantered around as like the greatest survivor season of all time, because that's not how I remember it being seen at the time. It was kind of like the all stars they couldn't pull together. And then Heroes versus Villains came around and Heroes versus Villains is kind of Micronesia part two. It kind of explores the same kind of relationships and themes and you kind of have to know one to see the other one. So to me, they're kind of intertwined as all-star seasons and to me i would say micro is the one that doesn't really work and this one actually works fairly well i will say of all the all-star seasons they've ever had this is my favorite but i'm never going to put this in my top seasons like other people do just because again i just don't think that returning player seasons are like real survivor seasons so with all that being said, I, I am fully cognizant how many people are excited for us to do this season, and I'm fully cognizant of how many people love this and think this is like the greatest thing that Survivor has ever produced. So I will be fully respectful of that, and I will try to not you know just shit on it like we did on All-Stars. Like There's lots of good things about the season. There's some bad things as well. Overall, I don't think it's the greatest season ever, but I will fully respect that this is a very, very popular season, and I promise we're not just going to sit here and dump on it like we did with All-Stars. What okay? What what movie am I thinking of? Oh, History of the World Part One with you know Mel Brooks's. That's what movie. I was gonna say, Jay. Oh my God, we're, we're so on the same. Uh, no, Paul. History there. of the World Part One is a movie, not a book. Oh shoot! Sorry, never mind. Go ahead. My bad. There's that. There's that scene during the Roman Empire, and what isn't Dom DeLuise playing Caesar? And yes, it's yeah. fantastic. I think so, yeah. But like, they they bring out the bathtub or whatever, and you know, um. They fill it with treasure when he gets the treasure bath. It's great. But, like, they pull out the bathtub first before the treasure part. And the, the, he, as Caesar, he just goes, nice, nice. Not thrilling, but nice. And that's sort of – I guess that's sort of how I feel about heroes versus villains. But at, at the same time, like, you know, it, if someone comes up to me and says heroes versus villains is my favorite season, I don't necessarily – I mean, look, I'm always judging everyone at all times. So, yes, I'm going to be judging you if you say that. But for the most part, I'm not necessarily going to think super negatively about that. Like, oh, Heroes versus Villains is your favorite season? Okay, it's a nice season. You know, it did nice things. There was nice stuff going on. But it's not the most thrilling. It's safe. I guess that's another thing is that I think what Paul said, it's right. It's the all-star season we kind of wanted, and and, and and it's one that we got. And But I think that they got some good entertaining people and with the way the game played out and you know we had the winner that we got and we got the interactions and and the domination of people that dominated that game i think that a lot of boxes for a lot of people got ticked and it's just one of those things where it's just a nice safe season in the sense that this faction of fans likes this part this other faction of fans like this part the other people that like returnees coming back got that. Like, it just sort of ticks a lot of boxes for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, and I have to say one thing here, that I was watching the episodes today with my wife sitting on the couch watching, and my son came out. My son is 17. He doesn't really care about Survivor anymore. He's too cool for school at this point. But Heroes versus Villains was on, and he would sit there, and he's kind of watching it today. And I was shocked because he doesn't really he won't watch TV with us. He doesn't care about any of these shows. But because there's characters that he knows, he kind of knows Rupert. He kind of knows Boston, Rob, Russell. He was sitting and he was actually like entranced by the show and following the narrative and commenting and laughing at the right parts. And like there's something to be said for that, that a season can draw in people that aren't like hardcore survivor experts. Like he would just sit and watch it because it was interesting because he kind of knew these people. So 
And that's always the thing I try to reconcile in my head that I, I am a certain type of survivor fan. I know full well, I don't speak for all survivor fans, but I try, as I get older, I try to respect why different people watch the show for different reasons. And there's something to be said for a season that can pull people in that don't watch every season. I think that has part to do with this cast, which I will just talk the world about how much I really do love this cast as a whole, plus Candace and Danielle. Uh, but the fact is, you know, my face lit up rewatching these episodes because at the time, this was a celebration of Survivor's 10 years on the air. And I really do feel like they do a great job of really combining the quote unquote old school with the new school. Which, at the time, looking back, that seems kind of ridiculous that you would consider, like, oh, token sheens, a new school season. But what I really loved about it is they really sort of cobbled together, you know, the players that we saw even in All-Star seasons last time that really represented the, the what someone called the golden age of Survivor with some of the, you know, the newer stars of the franchise and seeing, you know, going head-to-head who's going to, to best who. And so that's, you know, one thing that definitely got me excited when I first saw that cast was seeing people like... Colby come back and Jerry and Rupert and even someone like Tom. Uh, I was so excited mm-hmm. because it had been so long since we've seen those people. And to the point about your son, Mario, I think it's because like, I think that brought a lot of people back as well, because those are people that you sort of grew up on back when the show was at its most viewed. And so when you hear that they're coming back, it's going to naturally draw you in. So that when you say, oh, okay, I like Boston Rob, but who's this weird guy with the feather in his hair? It sort of like helps parlay <laughs> that conversation. I, I guess to another, to another point with that, Mike, just as you mentioned earlier that in Survivor All-Stars, there was not as large of a, a Survivor pool, right? Mm-hmm. So we, I remember us talking when we talked about Survivor All-Stars, Mario, that, that you know, we, we, we tried to cast the show. Like, how would you cast it? And we just kept there sitting there going like, well, you have to cast Colby. You mm-hmm. have to have Richard. You have to have, you know, and, and so when we sort of cast it out, we really – could only maybe swap out one or two people from whom they cast. Like it wasn't that, Oh, they, they cast it so perfectly in all stars. It was just one of those. That's who you have to cast. Like that's, that's literally it. But with a hero pool, that's so huge and a villain pool. That's so huge, a survivor pool. That's so huge. The, the casting for the season, I got to tell you, this is one for all the all-star seasons and whatnot. This is pretty well done all the way through. We, we can nitpick, a couple people, Candace, uh, Danielle, <laughs> but like we, you, you look at people like Randy, right? Like I know that we have, hey, you know, we stand Randy quite a bit, you know, when we, when we were back back there. But like, I don't think that he's like the super obvious pick, or or um, you know, e- even people like Amanda or or something like that, where like it, it, it's an obvious, and yet you you can go with somebody else. Sugar is another one. Like you could have gone with somebody else. It's a good pick. Like, I think that they just picked well for these for the for this show. Yeah, no, I've always been impressed by the cast of the season. And there was some really huge jets. I mean, we'll talk about the cast overall in a second. But I remember Tom Westman. That was a huge get because he was mm-hmm. from way far back. And he, at, the, at the time, he would have been the argument for most people would say maybe the best winner of all time, the greatest player of all time. So, like, he was a really big get. And then there's some that. Like you, like Jay said, Randy isn't an obvious get, but like I think that was a fantastic pick for the season. And someone like Courtney, who uh, like Courtney doesn't jump out at you as a villain, but like almost every scene Courtney Yates is in, may it becomes better TV. So like, yeah, I've never had a problem with this cast. I mean, there's a couple duds, but I mean, if you 
if you want to say 17 or 18 out of the 20 were absolute A plus selections, I mean, that's about as good as you're going to get for an all-star season. Because again, we had this exact same conversation about all-stars and it's the same thing. You're never going to love the entire cast, but there were some really inspired picks in this one in particular. Well, yes. and that's the thing when you compare it to these other all-star seasons or half all-star seasons, like there are way more, I, either there's there's a larger number of people that are double or WTF choices or they're the WTF choices are just really big WTF choices. And this is, I think, the one season where even the couple people where you question it here, you can really make a rationale for any of them. So I think this is proof that that casting piece, which is something they did not figure out in the first All-Stars, is they thought, OK, we'll pepper in some, you know, less huge names, less huge stars. Well, then what happened with that was those are the people who overtook the game. Whereas here, you don't just percentage wise, that option doesn't exist because, like you said, you know, 90 percent of the cast is a plus. So I think that's you know a testament to the casting of an all star season is so critical. And you think that maybe they would not you know repeat that mistake again. But unfortunately, that may not be the case. So I think if we look at what an all star season should be, I think you have to look at heroes versus villains and they should really try to stick to this format. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong here. I believe every cast member made the jury phase at least once before, right? Yeah, I think uh, so. I yeah. can't. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that speaks volumes as to like, you know, maybe unlike future returning seasons, we're not necessarily pulling from those pre-merged boots. Everyone that you've seen on this screen, you've seen for at least seven, eight episodes of the show. You've seen at least seven or eight hours of them on the TV screen. So they're going to leave some sort of impression in your mind. So to Paul's point, you're not going to be like, why do I need to see this person again? I know nothing about them. It's very clear that they all had storylines coming from their previous seasons that may or may not translate into this season. Well, and the questionable picks, it either seems like either it's someone who, um, I don't know if we're, if we're ready to dive in and name specific names, but you have someone like Danielle who might be, really? She's one of the top, whatever, 10 villains of all time. You know, she was a finalist. She made it the final two. She played a, you know, played a role in her season. And then you maybe you look at someone like Candace, really Candace is back, but had this, you know, season filmed a few years earlier, Candace would have been a shoe in to come back for an all-star season after what she did in Cook Island. So I think even the choices you're not sure about, you can clearly see that, um, they had been around for a while or they had made a splash on the game, you know, um, at the time that they played. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's go into the cast list here for a second, but first I just have to say one thing and I want to get your thoughts on this because it's something that's been bothering me all week or even before that it's been going on for a while. Like this survivor season is the quote unquote greatest, biggest season of all time, but there's always one issue I've had with it, and this is something I've written about in my book and I've talked about over the years, that I I always bristle when they start dividing Survivor players up into good guys and bad guys, just because I think it cheapens kind of the gray area of what Survivor is. And yeah. this is an argument I've made before that like, there's really only one villain in Survivor history. I always say it's Johnny Fairplay, who went on Survivor with the goal to you know humiliate everybody, to have an orgy in the final three, to like rape reality TV. Like this is, this is the stuff he was going to do. He had no interest in winning Survivor. He just wanted to ruin Survivor for everybody. So like my argument's always been, that's really the only villain in Survivor history. And everybody else is just someone who was trying to win Survivor. So just from a personal point of view, I always bristle a little bit when Survivor started marketing its players this way. Just because, like, as we'll see in this season, I think Rupert is really playing a character. Like, I don't know if Rupert's even trying to win. I think he's just, I have to do Rupert things. I have to be a hero. Like, I think this mindset drags out a lot of, uh, what's the word, uh, 
not uh, organic behavior out of character out of players because they're kind of playing characters. So I'm just curious about your thoughts on that. Do you guys find that? Do you have problems with that as well, or is it just me that this breaking people into stereotypical good guys versus bad guys is not really the best idea? How dare you talk up someone playing up a personality when you have Coach, the most authentic person on the planet <laughs> on this season? Truly ridiculous. But yeah, I mean, it's it's really tough. Like, you understand heroes versus villains reads really well. But this is a discussion that we've had in Modern Survivor where they're doing more and more theme seasons where I think to your point, Paul, Danielle and Candace would make sense as returnees. Do they make sense as heroes and villains, respectively? Maybe not. And that's when we start to get into some murky territory. You know, we get into the first episode where Jeff asks, does anyone want to, does anyone think they should be on the wrong tribe? And you have basically all the villains raising their hands. Like, I don't think anyone necessarily, there might have been a couple people that wanted to be called a villain. But I think that, you know, when you're sort of settled with that label, there's an assumption that goes uh, with that term. And I think it's also super interesting as we get into the cast about, like, why specifically the, not to make it a, a too much of a gender thing, but the five female villains. You know, if you think about, like, what did they do that constituted them being villainous is so interesting compared to, like, what the male villains did mm -hmm. to constitute that position. Just because when you have things like, you know, Russell burns people's socks in the fire versus Courtney is mouthy. It just like it doesn't necessarily compare when you're typifying things and stratifying everything. Well, I'd love to hear Jay's take on this after I go, uh, have a couple points that I want to make here. And the two things are, are this, that yes, Mario, I think it is problematic the way that that Survivor approaches this. And it really does become a precedent for Survivor from years from years um, to go on after this. And whether you like it or not, I feel like this is like this this way of dividing tribes based on um, characteristics that the show defines is something that we are going to see for years and years and years to come. And I think that whether you like it or not, that's what has helped Survivor keep continuing after this. But like we see every time they divide tribes up with some kind of theme like this, you run into these same problems we're talking about. I think inherently you you they, they try to lump too much together as what's a hero and what's a villain. When you have someone like Sari, who clearly would thrive better with the villains, who does more villainous things, but she's popular, so we have to put her on the heroes. And you have someone like Coach, who preaches integrity and loyalty and being a warrior. He is as hero of a player gets, but we have to put him on the villains because he was not popular. So mm -hmm. they really try to juggle too many components here in the season. So it's, I think this is proof that it's you're never when you're dividing people up in these ways. It's there's always going to be so much gray area that leads to too many you know problematic castings. Yeah, I mean, I think that I don't know. I, I think of I think of so many things when I think of heroes versus villains, and the way I always think of of this is I don't know. It's it's my years and years and years of watching pro wrestling is sort of how this goes in the sense that in the pro wrestling world, if you are a person that the audience is supposed to cheer, you're known as a face or a baby face. And if you're a person that the audience is supposed to boo, you're a heel. And so I guess that's the classic good guy versus bad guy. But, you know, a heel in pro wrestling usually does things like they usually taunt the crowd or, you know, for quick heat, they'll, you know, um, make fun of the local sports team and whatever arena they're <laughs> doing. You know, they, they do they do that kind of, you know, chicken shit stuff to kind of get them you know, to get the crowd to boo them, right? And then with the hero, you get, you know, they usually are, are a sympathetic figure in some sort. But it's like, these are real people. 
And these are not characters in a professional wrestling environment. Like these people are all real people and they're complicated. And I know that Survivor boils them down. And we've talked about the people versus the character on TV. And I understand that, you know, we've talked about all these things sort of there. But for the for the most part, I think why Mario says that Johnny Fairplay is the only villain in Survivor is because Johnny is a really complex individual, like a super complex individual. But he played survivor like a pro wrestling heel he mm-hmm. literally just said i am going to be heelish i am going to do everything heelish to make you boo me and it's like you know russell did things that he thought would win the game and we sort of you know look at those as like villainous things but it's like a lot of people really like him you know and, and I, I i find it very difficult to label like a hero or a villain within survivor because it's it's so many people like uh, people that are popular have done dastardly things. People who are unpopular have done good things and, and people who are good have done bad things. People are, it, it, people are people. They're, their choices are so nebulous and it's not like, I mean, obviously some people are trying to make a brand for themselves on TV, but very rarely are they trying to make like a, a, a face or a heel brand. They're just trying to make themselves as a survivor personality more than anything else. And the personality is complex. Or, or cloudy, I guess, is, is how that would go. Yeah, yeah. For me, it really just, it, it simplifies Survivor. It makes it more simplistic, and I don't think it's to, I think it's to Survivor's detriment that we kind of did that, where we started making it so black and white right around here, good guys and bad guys, and really, you'll see the show in the reunion shows and stuff like that start being marketed towards a younger and younger audience. You'll start seeing that somewhere around here. I kind of forget where it happens, but I always kind of think it starts right here. If you can just boil someone down to good guy or bad guy, then it is a way to attract kind of a younger audience. So that's, again, I'm glad you guys kind of agree with me on that because to me, it's I've always just bristled at that. Like it just, I don't feel like the early seasons of the show would have done that. Oh, he was a good guy. Oh, he was a bad guy. Like it was, it was understood that these are very complicated people playing a very complex game. And you can just go back to some of the people they picked for the heroes, like Tom Westman. Like even to this day, you'll see people on the internet saying, I can't believe he bullied Ian. That is one of the most horrible things I've ever seen on TV. And I have always disagreed with that. I'm, my argument is he was just trying to win Survivor. That's how he wins Survivor. He steamrolls Ian. Like there's nothing wrong with it. But it, it's very odd to just say he's a hero or he's a villain because Tom like many of the players, exemplifies both aspects of that. So, yeah, so I'm really glad you guys kind of agreed with me on that, that it's a very, it's an odd turn for Survivor to do right here where they start boiling everyone down into just one description. Can I, can I, can I, can I ask one, one future thing? And I know that I blather on for a second and I swear I'll shut up for a while after this, but no, do you think as well that, you know, just as we talked, we, we've, we've accused in seasons past of Jeff Probst and uh, some of the executive team of Survivor or whatever to manipulate how we think and feel about a season with the previously ons and some of the leading questions and stuff like that. It's a very um, it's a very known psychology term. I mean, it's all part of like Zimbardo's prison experiment and, you know, stuff that's very, very uh well-known within the psychology community that if you start labeling people as such and you keep you you harp on it 
people then start to behave or think in certain ways. And as you're talking about this, this season with you're a hero, what are hero things supposed to be? You guys are villains. How does that make you feel as a villain or something like that? And then we get into other seasons like David's versus Goliath's heroes, hustlers, you know, we get into these sort of labels. And when Jeff and them start, you know, every tribal council or every time Jeff is talking to the players, he's bringing up these themes over and over and over again. Even if you try to eschew them, you're still thinking about it and it somehow can manipulate how you think or feel about a situation. So my question is, is this is is these labels not only maybe marketing to a younger audience, but is it part of the executive team trying to manipulate what's going on on the, on the screen as well? So that's an interesting question because I actually wanted to give this show credit that I think, especially compared to some modern instances, they actually back away from the theme. You know, we get like the the Matt talk at the very first time they divide the tribes, but I would feel like in other instances, every time we keep going back to tribal council, you would have Jeff say like, you guys are heroes, you should be doing this, or oh, these villains, they're of course they're in chaos, villains always do that. But I think for the most part, maybe it's because they're returning players, I do feel like production for the most part like kind of took a hands-off approach to this one. They said, these guys are going to, you know, make their own entertainment, so we're going to let them do it, to the point where this is one of the very rare seasons that does not have a swap in it. It's heroes versus villains all the way up to, which might perpetuate the point that you guys are putting out, but I, I personally, the way that I'm seeing it is that they put that theme out there, but then, you know, they sort of let those labels fly and ha- have people do with them what they want. And you have on the Heroes Tribe, for example, you have the the spectrum of Rupert... Mr. Capital G good guy versus JT, who's like, screw this. I don't want to play the same way again. And so I feel like I personally feel like while the labels may have been constricting at first, I think at the end of the day, the players just sort of broke it down to Survivor and the the, the tribe names were just tribe names. Well, maybe that's me being a bit naive. <laughs> I will agree with both of you. I think the producers were mostly hands-off on this one, although once we get up to the idols and the double idol plays with Parvati and Russell later, maybe we can bring that up again. But I will agree with you, Mike, but I will also agree with you, Jay, in that I think almost every decision the producers have made since about season three or four have been subtly ways that the producers can just influence the game a little more in smaller and smaller incremental ways. So I agree with you that I do think the labels as a way for them to kind of drive behavior in a certain way. I think they they know they're going to have a good product, they have a good cast, but at the same time, if they have these themes that they can just keep repeating over and over, that's half of their storyline going into the episodes anyway. So I just think it's their way just to subtly kind of manipulate the way the story is going to be told right from the beginning. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, we go back to, we talked about in Survivor Africa, uh, you know, the the story goes with Teresa being moved tribes because oh, we don't want a repeat of a Tina and Colby story with an Ethan and T-Bird story happening again. And I think mm-hmm. they, you know, even with with fitting these categories here, you see those same things happening. You know, players reported up until, I don't know, it was like a couple of days before they started that Parvati was gonna was wearing a blue bikini and Candace was wearing a red swimsuit or red some clothing. And then, oh, magically, right before they started, Wardrobe had them change the color of their outfits. And, whoa, look, they're on separate tribes. So, you know, and, you know, people think, you know, talk about they didn't want all four Micronesia people together on that same tribe. And that would have dictated too much of what happened. Or, you know, those those things that have existed in Survivor for a long time. And I think these, you know, what they have to do with this now is they have to justify a little bit more and try to rationalize what, how they decide who goes to which tribe. 
All right, so let's go into the cast here. We've gone almost an hour into the podcast. We haven't even talked about the cast yet. All right, so I I had a friend the other day just emailed me on Reddit, and uh, he said, you know, I have a theory about heroes versus villains. And he's like, I don't think they were cast to be heroes or villains. I think they just want grab the cast of the players they want, and then later they arbitrarily decided who was a hero and who was a villain. And they're like, do you agree with that? And I'm like... I don't really agree with that. I think there were certain people they absolutely wanted for heroes and absolutely wanted for villains. And maybe towards the end, they had to fill in some others to kind of, you know, equal the genders, equal the sizes, equal the athletic ability, stuff like that. But let's go through this cast here. Can, um, I, can I speak to that real fast, Mario, before we yeah, jump sure. into that? I, remember I mean, hearing... why not, Paul? <laughs> Thanks. Um, what I remember being said is that um, they had been working with kind of three different possibilities for themes, heroes versus villains being one of them, and that they had their kind of large pool of people they wanted for sure. And then once it got down and they decided on that theme, they did some adjustments. Like, for example, Tina Wesson has said that she was in the running up to the very end, and then they told her, we're actually going with a different theme. And so she was, you know, no longer in the running. So I think that there's some truth to that in the in the sense of saying, I think they they had some different things they're working with. And once they decided upon the heroes versus villains, that's what kind of shaped the final pieces, like you were saying. Okay, that makes sense. I didn't know that, but that that makes sense. I'm curious uh, what Tina, uh, what team Tina would have been on the Dorito team. I'm not sure what what the third (laughs) tribe would have been. Yeah, the Mountain Dew tribe. That would be that would be Doritos. (laughs) Yeah, we we could definitely get into once we go through the cast. There is uh, over the years, there's been called together a long, long list. I think they contacted like probably over 50 people overall. And so uh, there's there's a quite a number of people who through the years have said that they were in consideration for heroes versus villains, whether or not that that's true is is one thing but they contacted a lot of people for this landmark season <laughs> okay we'll go through the actual cast and then we'll go through the perspective cast which is going to be fun because it's like literally my least favorite thing about survivor wiki the uh, wiki site about all the people that or uh, propose should have been in the cast or were almost cast which i don't agree with a lot of these all right let's do the real cast here so I'm going to go down the heroes. We're going to start with the five male heroes, and we will just uh, do a quick little roundtable. Do you think they were on the right tribe, and were they a solid choice? And right off the bat, I'm going to say JT. Um, I don't think I'll hear uh, any other opinions on this one. Like, fantastic choice, I think, for this one. It was literally two seasons right after Token Chains. He was just a, a, a unanimous winner, one of the greatest winners of all time. So, like, is there any dispute that he was a good pick here? No, I think especially given his, like, good old boy nature. Yes, he had some uh, morally questionable actions, specifically when he steamrolled Steven at the very end to definitely play things up. But I think to, to what you said about Tom before Mario, I think JT, especially given recency bias, was by far one of the most popular winners the franchise had seen so far. So he was someone that people wanted to see back, and I think his behavior necessitated the position as well. Yep. yep. Uh, Colby, obviously. I mean, Colby, you're going way back to the second season. This is 18 seasons before Heroes vs. Villains. There's a lot has been said about Colby over the years, how disappointing he is in Heroes vs. Villains, how he maybe didn't really want to be there, how he wasn't, his heart wasn't in it, he didn't have the greatest showing, but from a casting perspective, like, I was overjoyed to see Colby again, just because he's such a rich character in Survivor history. I think it, it, it speaks to the fact that if you remember in Survivor All-Stars, we mentioned that the most returnees on that season were from Survivor Australian Outback. And so 
even more than I think Richard Hatch and some of the people from the beginning. I feel like if you need, uh, and we haven't gotten quite there yet, but I feel like if you're going to bring two people back that are going to represent the oldest of old schools, I think bringing back Colby and Jerry are like perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So perfect Colby, perfect casting. Yeah, I mean, one could make the argument, and Colby and Jerry are more significant to Survivor history than even Richard is. To be, right. you could make that argument. All right, uh, our third male hero, James, and I will just give my personal opinion. I love James and China. That's one of those seasons that I've always just held near and dear to my heart. He's probably my favorite seat, my character in that season. I love that he was brought back. I was so excited. I was not excited about how he performed in this season whatsoever. He's going to do a very bad heel turn. But going into the season, is there any dispute that he was like one of the big heroes at the time? I mean, yeah, this is where like the term hero is a bit questionable just because like, did he do anything that was virtuous outside of like extolling a good work ethic? I suppose not. I think it was. This is where, to Paul's point, this is where likability sort of blends in with this idea of being a hero because James was extremely popular. I mean, dude won fan favorite two seasons in a row back to back before Russell did, even though he was sort of like kind of a non entity on Micronesia at the end of the day. So I think, again, if you're looking at like popular people to bring back, I'll admit, you know, I'm not a huge fan of bringing so many. Micronesia people back only a couple years after it. That might have been a bit of an mm-hmm. overkill, but I think from an overall perspective, James makes sense. Yeah, and and to point out to back up Paul's argument about the heroes being weird, like yeah, what did James do really? He got blindsided by his friends when he had idols, and then the next season he got medevaced. So it's like a hero is someone you feel bad for, I guess. <laughs> really, that's all I can say. You feel bad for James. I guess I guess it's that, you know, if, if you're going with pro wrestling like uh, for a face or a baby face is that one one of the classic elements of that is that you have sympathy for them, mm-hmm. like for their plight, their cause, their fight, their, you know, whatever their uh, adversarial relationship is with the heel, you ha- you side with them. So I think people sided with James. Yeah. So, no, so I, else, should, we, should, we, should like Timber Tina have been a hero then by that logic? I mean, yes, but nobody cares, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, she didn't there, win there, fan favorite twice. There, there's there's another pro wrestling term. It's called getting over, and what that means is, if you are over, that means that when you are announced, when your music hits and you come out to wrestle or whatever like that, the crowd goes wild. They care about you. You people buy tickets to come see you, right? There are people that are on major, you know, wrestling organizations and their music hits, and it's it's crickets when they come out. Like, it's not necessarily that they're a bad guy or a good guy or whatever. It's just whatever they are. Nobody cares. So, you know, Timbertina is not over. James is over. Yeah. I, I, I direct you, Mike, back to the story at the China reunion where women would come up to him at grave sites and want to see his abs. <laughs> That's true. That, if that doesn't speak hero, I don't know what does. <laughs> yeah. And they go, and to back up Jay's point, the intro in Micronesia, when James comes out and everyone goes crazy, they're all cheering all the fans for James. And then there's other players that maybe don't get the amount of recognition. We won't mention her oh, name, but we'll, oh, we'll maybe, get... oh, it feels like bungee jumping all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Quick cut Paul's feed. Any Amanda mention, cut the feed. No, he'll get more livid. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> All right. So our other heroes, we go to Tom Westman, the fourth male hero. 
Well, I mean, without question to me, he's the male hero star here. I know uh, Mike made the argument that JT was bigger, but just as a fan of Survivor history and just going back through you know, like the early, I, I will be a first one to admit I'm a snot about this, that I just say the early seasons are more important than the later seasons. And Tom, in the first 10 seasons, being that really popular male dominant winner, to me, he is the big get in the cast here. So I was so excited about him. How about you guys? Were you as, as gung-ho on Tom? Yeah, especially because he was known around the time of of heroes versus, or um, fans versus favorites when it was talked about All Stars two, and he famously said, "You know, I'm not going to come back and, and you know just to lose. I've already won." So the fact that he changed his mind was a uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited. Even though we only get Tom Westman for five episodes, I mean, I just had so much fun watching him. So I totally agree, Mario. He was probably who I was most excited by because even people like Colby, Jerry, and Rupert I'd already seen once before, but this is a guy that I had sort of, to Paul's point, like put out of my mind would never actually come back. So to see him do so, especially in such an epic season, was fantastic. And I was holding out hope beyond hope that he would probably not go all the way since there were, you know, hopefully no Jenna Lewis's in the cast, but I didn't know how well he would necessarily do, but I was hoping. How about you, Jay? I'm curious. Are you a big a, a Tom fanboy like we are? I don't know about fanboy or not, but uh, I can remember. I remember when I saw the cast list for Heroes versus Villains for the first time because I I wasn't really in on you know spoiling this or that or whatever. Like I think I just saw the announcement and stuff like that, and seeing Tom's face in in the cast like it it makes me it, it made me giddy. You know, <laughs> in the sense that. You know, there are people that you expect, right? Like, oh, you expect to see, like, Rupert, Rupert and stuff like that. You know, you expect to see people like that in the cast. But, like, Tom? Tom is back? Tom's coming back? Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. He was one of the people that seeing him on the list made me excited for the season. And it's not that I'm necessarily a Tom fanboy, but it's like I didn't expect him to be there. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Okay, so we got our big four. And then, of course, the obvious one, Rupert, the uh, the pirate himself. I will be the first to admit, I, I get a lot of flack for this opinion when I always say I'm kind of over Rupert. Like, I was kind of tired of him after All-Stars because I don't think he really adds much to a season. So I was like, it was, wasn't so much that I was like, disappointed he was in heroes versus villains as is as much as it was it was inevitable well of course rupert's going to be on it because he has to be so i'm I'm just curious like do you guys think the diminishing returns has kicked in on rupert here the third time or not what's your stance on him i mean what doesn't he end up getting second place in the uh the fan favorite vote so it's like i guess not yeah it's, it's sort of like oh if rupert's name is attached i'll vote for him no matter what yeah <laughs> okay okay let's paul's evading the question mr tipsy on wine what do you what do you what, what did you think of rupert going into the season i'm curious i mean it, i i was sick of him by now like by the time he showed up but it was kind of also like if if they're trying to sell this to us as the the five best male heroes of all time and if we really think of of a hero as being super popular super into you know being full of integrity and doing the right thing. I mean, you have to have Rupert. So you can't you can't nitpick the choice too much. Um, and some of the preseason stuff, I love when Sugar was talking about how, you know, she really wanted to align with JT and Rupert because they both won. <laughs> <laughs> 
That, yeah, that, that, is the, that, that is the weird thing, though, is that, like, last time we saw Rupert, he won a million dollars. And there's this whole, we can talk about the uh, Surviving Survivor special that aired in honor of the 10th anniversary of Survivor. But they had a whole segment dedicated to Rupert's kid. So it is interesting that he decided to come back. And I do understand the point that, like, even though it was six years since we'd saw, seen him last on TV, we got a lot of Rupert in the course of that one, uh, you know, TV year. But, I mean, rewatching these episodes, I, I gotta say, I don't know how uh, popular of an opinion this may be. I just love Rupert as just a character because of how much of a sad sack he is and how much gravity he brings to literally everything. I'm sure we'll get into it, but I don't know. There was something that I had missed since we last talked about All-Stars all those years ago about just how much dramatic weight Rupert brings to everything. And while it may be grating, and while it's definitely understandable given that this theme is about morality and Rupert was someone who already sort of prided his game on morality to begin with, I I really love him as, as a Survivor character. So watching it back, I was happier than I was at the time. All right, so we got our five male heroes here, and uh, I'm going to put people on the spot here. This is something I haven't really planned for, but are there any big names you feel were left out and maybe could have been here as a male hero? Although keep in mind for people listening to this podcast, like there were 10 seasons of Survivor up through Palau, and then the next 10 going to Heroes versus Villains. And it's clear that the producers were really trying to lean more on the second half of that, the 10 through 20. So when I'm thinking of these players that maybe were snubbed for heroes versus villains, just keep in mind, they would have wanted more weight on that second half because that was more fresh in people's heads. So with that being said, are there any characters you can think of maybe that would have made a good argument for the male heroes tribe here? Well, I think you look to here to fans, fans versus favorites um, one, and you see these, you know, they couldn't invite the whole cast back. I mean, they can you almost the whole, all the all-star cast, but I think you look at an Aussie or you look at a Yao man and, mm-hmm. and you could easily insert those into these top five. And I don't think anyone would have questioned it. Yeah. Yao man's the one I think of. Yeah. Yao man actually was invited, but declined. Uh, and Ozzy, I guess I'll pipe in some of this Intel. I found out about like alternate casting. Ozzy was considered, but they figured they didn't want five Micronesia people on make up mm-hmm. a quarter of a season. So they turned him down. My big omission, it's understandable given Tom was in the cast, but I feel like Terry Dietz, if Tom wasn't on that season, would have been a lock for sure. Yeah, that's a good one. The one guy that jumps out at me is, obviously he had health issues at the time, but I would have loved to see an Ethan in here, just because I think he's a really big name in Survivor history, and you know he never gets the credit because Colby kind of overshadows him, but I'd argue Ethan winning was a bigger deal. But I know, understandably, he was sick, but I, I'm curious if they would have even considered him had he not been sick. What about, uh, I mean, I know Rudy is would probably be in his 80s by the time he went out there and probably make for an easy first boot from the tribes or early boot like he did in All-Stars. But maybe in a vacuum, I think he would be a great, considering, again, if we're equating popularity with he- mm-hmm. heroism and plus his literal heroism outside of the game, I feel like he'd be a good lock, too. And I'm going to throw one other name out there, Yule from Cook Islands. I would have loved to see Yule in this. Uh, that was actually the I was I was waiting to see my, get my turn and say Yule because I think like Yule or Ozzy are are even more than Yao Man and I mean love me some Yao Man but like I think Yule or Ozzy not being in this cast is probably the biggest omission even though I I agree with the five that were chosen. Mm-hmm. Also, who, who do you think ahead. they would have replaced? 
Yeah, see, that's that's the tough thing is that like I feel like especially the five hero guys all make sense. Though maybe they would replace someone with the Owlman to sort of balance it out because they even talk about this on the show. My God, this heroes cast, specifically the male heroes, are stacked beyond belief. Considering you have two guys who still tie the record for most immunity challenge wins in a season. And then you have, you know, three of the biggest workhorses in Survivor history. Like, if you're going one-on-one like a lot of these challenges do in the season, like, the villains are just completely outmatched when it comes to a male perspective. These guys are just beasts. Yeah. As we saw in the Gladiator Challenge, I think, in episode three. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, anything else to add on the male heroes before I move on to the female heroes? No, we're good. All right. Here we go. Now it's where it starts to get a little more interesting. And I will lead off with the queen of the Montana pageant scene, Amanda. And before Paul has a chance to start fapping here, I will say that that Amanda, I will say specifically that when this cast was first announced, there was two things that just jumped out at me when I first saw it. It's like, oh, my God, they got Tom. That's fantastic. And, oh, my God, why is Amanda playing for the third time in six seasons? That absolutely drove me insane at the time. I will be the first to admit I really kind of liked Amanda. The last time we watched Micro and we talked about it, I've made peace with her. I can understand why she was picked. At the time, I had a huge gripe with her in this cast, but I'm fine with it now. With that being said, Paul, please hit us with your thoughts on Amanda. Well, I think bringing back Amanda, it makes a lot of sense, especially when they've even reworked the logo this time to be return. What is it? Return. Revenge. uh, Redemption. Revenge. Redemption. And so like another theme they try to really, you know, weave in here is a redemption arc there. And you have someone who at the time, you know, they didn't wrestle hands, same boat, but you know, he, he gets there by the end of the season. She's the only player out there who's made it to the finals twice. She hasn't won. She's a recent contestant. Yes. It's overkill to have her and James are back together, but I mean, I don't think it's that crazy of a pick, but definitely understand the frustration of fans being like really again, um, which I think that's one of the biggest issues we have here with this all-star season coming out in season 20, when we just saw her in 15 and 16, that's a very fast turnaround. Yeah. It was the exact same reaction from me, Mario of like, not only did we see Amanda go back to back in 15 and 16, but the internet discussion at the time was also very Amanda heavy. So it's Mm -hmm. actually not that dissimilar, granted a bit more mild, but not that dissimilar from Russell going in 19 and 20. And when you find out he's on 22, you throw your hands up in frustration and say, like, why do we need to see this person again? And I've also gained a a good amount of appreciation for Amanda. And I think she brings a bit of fun to this season as well. A a bit of a difference from what we've seen her in previous seasons. But definitely at the time, I was like, do we really need to see her again? I think Amanda's choice or inclusion in this show is literally saved by Candace being there. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a great point. (laughs) And that's all I have to say about it. Yeah. With the benefit of hindsight, I can see when now that I look at the big picture of Survivor history, I can see why Amanda was here. I actually think she was a fairly good choice. Like you could make a good argument for her. And it's really the kind of the same argument you make for James. You just kind of feel bad for her. Like she played well the first time and lost because Todd is a better speaker. She played well the second time. And I think she should have won that vote. That one still kind of galls me that Parvati slipped past her because I think Amanda was really the best player that season. So you could make the argument once you see the big picture that you kind of feel bad for Amanda. So it's almost, 
yeah, maybe she didn't like do quote unquote heroic stuff, but she's in the same boat as James. Like she definitely has some redemption. You just want to see something good happen to her this time. So I can't believe I'm actually saying that, but I actually do think you could make a justification why she was here now. All right, so now we'll move on to the next one. The uh, <laughs> A lot of fun things we'll have to say about her, but Stephanie LaGrosa. <laughs> I, as much as we, we make fun this, of Yeah, go, go ahead, Jay. I was just going to say, as much as we make fun of her for everything, and boy, we are not going to be done, this is, I think, a no-brainer and a slam dunk. <laughs> yeah. Now, I will say she is the equivalent of Tom here. It's like, oh, my God, they got Stephanie. Like, this was a big get at the time, which, again, you kind of have to ignore Guatemala that she was like a big villain for a while. But let's just which, ignore let's that. Let's face it. Survivor ignores Guatemala. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's a recurring. That's that's the most prevalent display that like they just completely have wiped Guatemala from their collective memories. <laughs> yeah. But I will say personally, if there was a second hero that I was excited to be about other than Tom, it was Stephanie. And this is one thing I really hope to harp on on historians. What, again, what a big deal Stephanie was to Survivor history. And she was a huge get. It was a big deal that they got her again. And, you know, snot rockets that I get to do that impression. Very excited. But, yeah, it was – I was so excited. Were you guys all I, – I feel like I'm one of the few people who still really love Stephanie from Palau. Were you guys excited to see her here? Considering how Guatemala ended and where I was very much rooting against Stephanie at the time, I understood bringing her back, much like you guys sort of said about Rupert. Like, I understood bringing her back. I didn't necessarily feel a need to do it. And, you know, I actually, in a weird manner of speaking, I'm sort of happy that she went out early because it was— the thing that I like about returning player seasons are when, you know, returning players get different narratives from their previous seasons, and Stephanie really got that. This is the first time she really went out early. But, again— it's again, it's like what you guys said about Rupert. If you're looking for one of the biggest heroines in Survivor history, you have to go with the person who they built a storyline out of. You know, being the last person left on her tribe, and people even told her to your, her face, "I applied for this show because of you." It's it's a no brainer. I'm curious what you think, Paul. This is one I, with your background in Survivor history, like to me, Stephanie is so important in just the the annals of Survivor history, the arc, how female heroes were developed, the female characters in the middle years there. It's it's like, it's funny in this season in particular, and this I know this will be a hard mindset for people to wrap their heads around if you didn't watch a show from the beginning like I did. But like in this season, there's scenes where like James and Sari and Candace are all talking crap about Stephanie. And to me, it's almost like, how dare these insignificant players talk about someone so significant and bring her down? Like, it almost, I know it, it's hard for people to wrap their heads around that, but I, I consider Stephanie so much of a bigger name in Survivor history than Suri that, that some of these early scenes just gall me. They piss me off. So I'm curious, Paul, like, what did you think of Stephanie here? I mean, I, I think it's hard to go back and put yourself in that mindset because she is so in, insignificant in the season. But, I mean, she was up there with getting Tom Westman again. People yeah. were talking about in Micronesia, uh, you know, wondering with this whole concept of of the All-Stars 2, you know, a lot of people out there said, oh, bring Stephanie back again. And, you know, they're, they're, they're not ready to bring back a player for three times until this season. And that just kind of opens the floodgates on that for the rest of time. But, you know, people were really pushing for her to be on the cast in Micronesia. So the fact that she came back for the season was a really big deal. I mean, she like when, uh, when those first um, during the first challenge in the episode, which we'll get to probably in five hours, um, you know, when they, when that challenge starts and it's her out there with Danielle, like I just think about 
there always being these references in those in those early teen seasons about how you know Stephanie kind of led to players like Danielle and people wanting to play like this really strong aggressive alpha young woman role and Stephanie really kind of was this inspiration for all these players to come. So um, I agree with you, Mario, that it's kind of, you know, the way she's treated in the season is, is not, is not fair um, considering the kind of the significance she had on survivor. How about you, Jay? I'm curious. Do you have an analogy for this perhaps? I don't have an analogy, but I'll also tell you what I was thinking when I saw Stephanie there. You know, it's when you get a a survivor cast of newbies like, yeah, I guess maybe some of them when you read their bio or look at their picture or something before the the game starts, you can, you know, like a Tarzan or something like that, where you can you could basically say this person's not going to win this game. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, if you've got like a cast of 18 to 20 people, you can usually write out right off about five, six people like off the bat, like there's just no way in hell this person's going to win the game. And I know that all star seasons go very differently and, and anything can sort of happen. But it's like I agreed with Stephanie being there. I liked the fact that she was there. But I also was like, Stephanie's not going to win. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just no way. And so. I think that kind of knowing that and just sort of writing her off in that sense, like I could just enjoy the time that she was there. Mm-hmm. All right. That's fair. All right. So let's go on to a uh, third female hero. And I will say this is my personal favorite inspired female casting choice this season among the heroes. Sugar. <laughs> you, know, well, you know, admittedly, she didn't have a very successful story in Heroes versus Villains, but like when they cast the season, and I'm like, oh my God, they got Sugar again? Like, I couldn't even fathom what Sugar's storyline was going to be like the second time because, like, the first season was really just her doing whatever she could to get airtime. And like, so again, she got about as far as she should have in Heroes versus Villains, but I will <laughs> forever defend the pick that she was a huge character and it was a big get to get her here. Well, you know, Jeff explains it so well, the cast assessment. He says, um, by definition, Sugar is a heroine because she wants goodness to prevail. <laughs> I mean, is he wrong? <laughs> no. But the way he says he like just like looks drugged up and just like stumbling over his words to uh to uh, try to describe uh you know what really what he wanted to say is sugar did whatever the hell she wanted and she totally like owned a season but uh I can't really say that so that's just what I'm uh that's how I'm gonna sum it up now. Sugar single handedly dictated that the popular person would win the season, so I guess she's a hero then. Yeah, I, mean, that's, I, mean... that, I think that's a good argument. I like that why she was picked for that. <laughs> I mean, that that's the thing is that I think that Sugar is a great pick and I'm glad she was picked. But this goes down to Sugar, the hero. I mean, this is like her and Rupert are probably the two biggest discrepancies between like the way they were portrayed in a positive light to the way they were very much perceived by others on their season. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Sugar. I don't think she was ever even trying to win Survivor at any point. She was just irritating everybody. Yeah, it, but again, w- w- do you think she was a solid pick for this season? I mean, she was by far one of the biggest characters. We talked on the Gabon podcast about how I think that she really helped usher in this sort of era of editing style where one player would sort of become the focus of the narrative in basically each and every episode, for better or for worse. So, I mean, she was one of the biggest players of the past few seasons. I feel like if you're looking at recent, se- at recent seasons specifically to pull from, I feel like she's a fantastic get though to your point i think she 
She stayed her welcome. I don't know exactly what a sugar in episode two of Heroes vs. Villains would have looked like. <laughs> I agree. Okay. Uh, let's go to our fourth hero here. And this, I'm sure we're not going to get much argument on this one. Suri, who uh, even to this day is still one of the most beloved players of all time. At the time, she was a big name. You know, she was in China. Did She didn't win fan favorite, or not China, sorry, uh, Exile Island. And, she, won, uh, she won. She won fan favorite during Exile Island, I believe. That's when they were giving away the car instead of the money. But she did not get it during Micronesia. Okay, but then Micronesia is the season she really kind of came into her own and became this legendary player. So, yeah, I don't. I don't think there would have been any argument at the time that Suri was a good pick here. I think the I question think... is, was she a hero? Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, it's it's hard to say she's a villain. Like, with her little giggle and her fan favorite award. Like, again, there's several of these you could make the argument they could have gone one way or another. But I just, I have a hard time reconciling the image of Suri as a villain, of the show marketing her as a villain. I mean, I'll give the hot take right here. And the hot take is, Suri can be on every season of Survivor and I'd be okay with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jay and I are going to disagree quite a bit on this one. I think we already have before on Micro. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, it's so interesting. I mean, I totally understand that to what Paul said earlier. Like, I think her storyline is by far the most heroic. If you compare, I'm specifically comparing her, Amanda, and Parvati. Because you get this weird moment in episode one where Jeff says, Parvati, the reason why you're on the villains is because you led one of the most dominant, visceral female alliances of all time. And then it cuts to Serene and Amanda, who were totally there next to her doing all that, yet they're considered heroes. And so that's sort of like the weirdest example of how uh, arbitrary some of these definitions can be. But if you're sort of taking all that away, the actual maneuvers that they were doing, and boils it down to like who they were and how they were portrayed... I could see from if you're just equating heroism with positivity, Suri belongs there. I think they're only looking at Exile Island. I don't think they're considering hers from being as Mike from Micro. That's what I think. So it's an obvious hero at that point for her. That's how I'd look at it with her. So uh, it just. Uh. <laughs> I mean, it's weird because you have to decide, like, like with Stephanie, which season do you reconsider her or her narrative from? And with Suri, that's what I think they're doing. They're just they're just ignoring Micro. Oh, that was Parvati. Parvati was the only member of that Black Widow brigade. So <laughs> she so, was a lovable so, leaf woman. So by Survivor willfully ignoring people's seasons that that they came back from or their original season, Survivor is in and of itself basically saying that you should forget part of itself i mean yeah <laughs> that's one way to put it i'm sure there's a pro wrestling term for that right no <laughs> smart or something no that's just dumb <laughs> I, I, I mean what do you guys think what do you think about that uh paul and mike go for it temp <laughs> <laughs> that's i mean no, that is a really tough question because i mean it's a very the show has a complicated history of addressing its own history, uh, whether it's stating facts erroneously or it chooses to acknowledge certain narratives. I mean, I think this is where things become inherently complicated when you bring people back for a third, fourth, possibly fifth time is because you do sort of need to be a bit selective. I think it's very telling that in the lower third for all these people, the season that comes up next to their name is their first season. It's mm -hmm. never... Colby, Australia, comma, All-Stars. It's Colby, Australia. So I wonder if that's maybe just 
whether it's simplicity or whether it's intentional, it's sort of putting this idea in our minds of like, just think back to, you know, the first time we saw these people. And if they did well on their second time, you can incorporate it there as well. But otherwise, we're going to go off the narrative that these are, they're essentially returning for their second time, going off of what we saw from them in their first season. Yeah. To uh, steal a quote from Rob Sesternino and Amazon, guys, remember the good times. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes. All right. So we've got four female heroes. We're going to go to the fifth one. And there's a word that I hate using, which is problematic, but we will mention that word here, problematic. Here's our fifth female hero, Candace. And I'm sure uh, we all have lots to say about Candace here. And I will turn it over, turn the floor over to you guys. Candace, throw her name no. out there. Here's here's the deal. Candace was go- supposed to be on. I mean, they wanted her for fans versus favorites. Yeah. Harvey was the replacement for Candace. Mm-hmm. Had this film, you know, had she been on season 16, no one would have questioned it. I think because time had, had gone on, people kind of forgot about her. And then in, in the biggest, like, like okay survivor like there's no way she is a hero absolutely no <laughs> way so that just like so it's it's a double punch there there's like the people forgot about her and then you try to sell her as a villain or a hero to us it's th- that's the problem here i mean honestly i think if she was on the villains tribe we would not there there would not be that much of a you know of of questioning the decision to include her in this cast Paul, I don't know what you're talking about. Calling someone rat cancer is about the most heroic thing you can do to a person. <laughs> yeah, it's funny when the fir- the cast first came out. Like, Candace is someone I didn't really have a reaction to. Like, I remember Amanda just galled me. Like, oh, why is she there? Like, Candace, I'm like, okay, well, I guess we wanted someone from Cook Islands. Like, I didn't really have a reaction to her one way or another, which I guess is probably worse in a way. Like, even to this day, I still don't really have a reaction to Candace other than I just remember the Brad Culpepper stuff in as we'll get way down the road somewhere. (laughs) But uh, but yeah, so like I didn't really have a reaction to her one way or another. But a lot of that was because I just couldn't think of someone who I thought should have been there over her. Maybe that was kind of the argument. I'm not sure. Like, uh, like Mike, did you have much of a visceral reaction here to Candace being in the cast? I mean, visceral, yes. But again, it was because I didn't really like her in Cook Islands. So I thought, okay, why is she? She flipped on her entire tribe. She left the iTunes behind. What necessarily makes her a hero? I think once you find out after the fact that, you know, she essentially became like a hero by default because... And you could say it's also questionable to have Parvati on that hero's tribe in the first place, unless you want to consider, like, the Black Widow Brigade a hero-based alliance to begin with. Uh, But to have her on there just—I mean, I can't remember, Paul, what Jeff said. I know he had a weird reasoning for Danielle being a villain. Do you remember if he had a weird reasoning for Candace being a hero as well? Oh, I can hear it play in my head. He said, some people might think that Candace is a villain for mutinying. no. Candace, she said, I will, st- I'm stepping off this mat. Those people are my tribe. They are mine. I belong with them. To some people, they may say that's a villain. We didn't see it that way. <laughs> so basically, we can do whatever the hell we want as producer. <laughs> well, that's, 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 they said that with sugar. You can do whatever the hell you want. That makes you a hero. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I'm going to bring up the elephant in the room here with Candace. Do you think... The uh, I will go back to our Cook Islands 
podcast where we got some intel from Renee Seiler or whoever on the inside and basically Thanks said for the shout out Mario. Yeah. So there was this, you know, big controversy that the producers basically decreed the white alliance could not win. It was bad. They did everything they can to shut down these this tribe and make sure it didn't happen so like it would be mixed up a little. Do you think there was some kind of back alley deal with uh Candace and Parvati to say, well, you know, we'll bring you back for future seasons because we screwed you guys in Cook Island. I am, I don't know anything about this. No one's ever said anything. It's just something that maybe comes to my mind. Do you think it was kind of similar to Lex and Tom back in All Stars, where the producers kind of owed them All Star appearances because they screwed them in their season? Maybe this is again me being a bit simplistic and naive. I don't think so. Uh, just because I, it is comparable to the Lex and Tom situation, where like. I think in all these, you can make the argument that they're enough, they're big enough characters in their own right to bring back for a returning season, no matter what. Now, does that, you know, necessarily ascribe the term of favorite to Parvati or hero to Candace? I don't think so, but I maybe that's more of an issue of what we talked about before with the the theming itself than it is the actual casting choices. Yeah, I'm curious what the other guys, Jay and Paul, think about that. That's just something that kind of crossed my mind this week. Was there? Do you think there was some kind of back, you know, behind the doors deal? To, we, we'll bring you guys back because we screwed you over. I don't. I mean, everything's possible. It this it doesn't strike like if you think about them casting Candace as a villain. I do not think there is even a stretch at all. So that does not lead me to jump to the idea that oh, Candace was was guaranteed a spot back. There was something about her they inherently liked. I mean, we see mm-hmm. her come back how many seasons later, not as their first choice, but I mean, I think there really was something about Candace they enjoyed having on the show, and they knew that she made people mad, which is why I think, you know, they she was really on a their hero. list for a villain. <laughs> for, yeah. Sorry, as a hero, yes. Yeah. Some, because some people, people may... Some people might... You know, some people might say pissing people off, making people hate you is a villain, but... She is standing up for what she believes in. We saw it as a hero. She's advocating for goodness. She's manifesting goodness no matter who gets so mad at by her. By definition, she is a heroine. She wants what's good for her. The goodness. Good... She wants that goodness. She's putting that goodness first. So by definition, she's a hero. At some point in her life, she has said the word good. <laughs> Even if it was good, I hope Jonathan's dead. <laughs> <laughs> okay so <laughs> I, I guess right. i guess my whole thing is i think that paul's right i think that you know candace is one of those where i feel like in the casting room of survivor they look at somebody like candace whereas like you know candace is she's a doctor she's you know um super athletic uh she you know cuts a decent interview when she needs to and all these sorts of things like she she ticks all these boxes and they're just like bring her back why we we have no reason to just bring her back johnson <laughs> johnson that's his name i don't know whatever <laughs> is that an analogy it really isn't it's just whenever i think of a boardroom and someone makes a dumb thing i always think it's johnson all right <laughs> Okay, so with our five female heroes being named, I this I'll bring up the same question I talked about the males. Are there any female heroines that you think were snubbed that you thought maybe should have been here over perhaps a Candace? Um, and again, yes. keep in mind, keep in mm-hmm. mind, season ten through twenty would be the 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 preference. They want to do the more later seasons, and then also keep in mind that Survivor has historically had a hard time producing female heroes. That what they tend to do is they produce the sweethearts, the young girl that you feel bad for, you like, or she's like Colleen Haskell, Elizabeth 
Polarski. So with that being said, okay, Jay, you said, who do you think got snubbed here? Uh, well, I can name two off the top of my head. Uh, PG. Okay. Mm. Taj. Taj is a good one. Yeah, the Taj is the interesting one. I mean, obviously, I, I don't want to make it come down to, you know, optics, but I don't know if they would feel like, okay, we want to, you know, having Taj and Sari on the same tribe just because they're kind of comparable. Not to mention, who knows if Taj's, you know, body, I know her body was like pretty ravaged after Token Sheens, but I think that they both have that big underdog story. Uh, which I think makes way for heroism. I, I'm going to go super old school, going against your rule here, Mario, and suggest two. I know, again, it's the older demographic, but, I mean, T-Bird and Kathy on mm -hmm. paper would have been, both been shoo-ins. Yeah, see, I'm having the hardest time with this because I can't think of someone that jumps out at me because really there there haven't been that many quote-unquote female heroes. Like, if you're expanding the definition to include sugar, that's one thing. But, like, Stephanie was really one of like the last ones who was like the big fan favorite female hero. He had Kathy and like before that Colleen and stuff. So like I, I'm having the hardest time thinking of someone who might have got snubbed here. Like the names you came up with are good. Taj is a good one. Although I don't know if she would have been a big enough name for this cast. That's the thing. Yeah, but, but no, 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 no. You can't do that. You cannot <laughs> do that. You can't sit here and go, well, who would you replace over Candace? And you're like, well, I guess there's no big names after Stephanie. It's like, duh, neither is Candace. So <laughs> I'm sorry, Johnson. Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like anyone that we mentioned, it's like, yeah, I think they're just as equivalent as Candace. Yeah, I'm just trying to think here. Someone who has an unresolved story who would have been interesting to see, like this would have been kind of a, an outside the box choice. But Michelle from Fiji, who kind of got screwed by that twist and everyone seemed to like her. I think I think that's a good one for the time because like I always kind of because this is so close to Micronesia I think about the one you know the the name that people would always have on lists and Michelle Yee was always on the list that she needed to come back she needed to come back so I think that's a good call there that she could have fit into that needed a redemption arc type of uh, type of thing. I'm trying to think were there any big female heroes in Samoa? Not really. I mean, obviously I Natalie mean, you White. Can, you can... Well, Shambo. <laughs> She was she, she's a fan favorite. I mean, I feel like with a different style of editing, you could say Laura Moret could have been one. Yeah, but remember, she hated Shambo, and Shambo was the favorite. It's it's that would have been a hard sell at the time. That's true, but I feel like she. If you're talking about like who comes from the Stephanie mold of like you know alpha female who, who kicks ass, I feel like Laura Moret. And, and again, there's a reason why she got brought back for Blood versus Water so many years later is that she she is a good piece of casting, but maybe not right after Samoa, especially given the ending and how contentious it was. I mean, I, I, I may not be remembering this 100% right, but I do believe Shambo was someone who was talked to and d did not want to come back at all. Yeah. And I, I honestly think she, like, they would, if, if Shambo would have said, yes, I want to do it, because I think one of the trickiest things like we talked about is trying to even out the tribe. So if you get something like a Shambo, you put her on the heroes, that kind of helps even out the, you know, the, the, the women's situation. So, yeah, I, I think that's definitely a possibility. Could you imagine Shambo and Rupert on the same tribe? Oh, God. <laughs> Too much. I want to see James yell at Shambo. That would be fun. Candace is one of those picks, like anything, where, like, I don't really want to, like, badmouth Candace because Candace is an amazing Survivor contestant. She's just an amazing Survivor contestant. It's just the problem is, is that when you say, you know, can, could you bring someone comparable? The, the answer is probably you could find somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, so... Is she like your sister or something? No. Okay, just checking. All right. 
All right, so we have our 10 heroes. Anything left to say about the heroes before we move on to the villains and finish up this three-and-a-half-hour podcast on just pregame stuff? <laughs> like, if we had to do it for any season, it would be this one, considering, like, yeah. there was so much acclaim going into this. I mean, you know, part of it might have been because uh, one previous contestant spoiled the season and who was on it, but there was a lot, a lot of hype going into this cast, so it's understandable. Yeah, I mean, and again, I will tell people right now, this is going to be a four-part podcast. We did the same thing with Micro. These are the two. We spend a lot more time on these really significant seasons. So you guys ready to plunge forward? Jay, you're not falling asleep. You're okay? You're still government ready? I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hanging in there, Mario. I, I'm hanging in okay. Uh, you know, we're about, we're about halfway through this episode. I'm, I'm, I think I can go, you know, if we start episode one soon. Okay, drink a lot of water, Jay. Here okay. we go. Okay. All right, so the villains. We go to the villains. The male villains. We'll start with them first. Oh, God, we haven't done the villains. <laughs> no, we haven't. <laughs> All right, so the first one is a very subtle character whom a lot of people might not have remembered, and this is Coach. Anybody anybody out <laughs> Who? there have any thoughts on Coach Benjamin Wade? I yield Wade? my time. Cede <laughs> the floor to the chairman. I yield my time to, to stand Coach Mario Lanza. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, I loved coaching this season, and it it's funny that that there's to this day some controversy over whether, whether whether coach should have been a hero or a villain. Like because at the time, I don't think there was any controversy. I still hear people say that. Like what? even Mike, even Mike brought it up. Like coach is all about nobility and doing the right thing, and that he was a villain. But like coach was one of the most hated players in Survivor history. Like especially at this time, that's only a year after Token Chains. Like, there has not been a coachessance, a renaissance yet, where anybody started to love him. Like, I have not written anything about him. There's nobody is talking about what a good player he was. At this point, he was still very much this bastard that took over token chains and made it all about himself, and everyone just hated him. So I think Coach was such a fun, inspired choice, even though, like Mike said, on paper, he doesn't really meet the criteria for villain, but... Obviously, I'm a little biased. I was very overjoyed to see Coach here, and in my opinion, this is the greatest coach of this season. That's a that's a lofty call, considering that I guess we get a much more concentrated coach, and that yeah. he's in like half the number of episodes. I mean, he only gets as far as drag with his votes. <laughs> uh, but I think that, I mean, I was, I understood Coach coming back because he was one of the bigger characters, and to Mario's point, he was one of the least liked characters in recent mm -hmm. memory. So it makes sense. I had grown a little tired of coach at that point. I was not his biggest fan during token Chain, So I was like, again, it was like the Amanda thing of like, do we need to really see him again, especially this, you know, soon. But since the coach is on, since Mario has wrote volumes about his greatness as a character, I will say I was excited to see him come back just because one of the things I love about this cast is you just have these vivid, like fanfic based imaginations of like, you know, how does Stephanie interact with Rupert? How does Coach interact with Sandra? Like, we actually got to see that happen in this season, and it's fantastic. Yeah, and I will say one thing, just not nothing to do with anything I've ever written about Coach, but, like, the editing of Token Sheens is they present Coach pretty straightforward for the most part. But in Heroes vs. Villains, it's 100% the edit is mocking Coach, the players are mocking Coach, Probes is mocking Coach. There's not one minute in the season where people aren't mocking the hell out of him. And I think as much as it became very painful for Coach to go through, as you guys might have heard our interview with him where he 
he really his life kind of fell apart because of Survivor because nobody took him seriously. But I think this is the season that really was the camel that or the straw that broke the camel's back and that it kind of showed him what people think of him in real life and what they think of him in Survivor. And it really changed his life. So this is the season, I think, where the coaches science really kind of started because people started laughing at him. He kind of learned he's kind of a comic character not to take seriously. So I will say that this season, I think, did a lot for his image. So I was happy for that. Paul? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jay already said that. You know, you're just stealing answers. No plagiarism on Survivor Historians. I mean, there's like no complaints. There's no complaints of having Coach back. It's very recent. So like Mike said, it's a little like a little over it. But I mean, there's no fault. I mean, you have to have Coach back. I mean, there's there's no way around it. There's no one you replace him with. You know, we get we get a decent amount of Coach, and we don't have to deal with him after the merge. So I think everyone wins this season. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the I think that's the right answer. Like it, it, it's it's really sad, but it's sort of in the sense of like, man, you could replace Rupert on the Heroes Tribe, but you really can't. He should be there, mm-hmm. and you know, Coach should be there as the villains, like. He was a big enough character. He was a super villain. Like, he should be there. All right. Fair enough answers. Now we will go to our second male villain, and this is the uh, aforementioned, very inspired pick, Randy Bailey. Love this pick. Yeah. And this was, this is just fantastic. Randy's just such a good character, and he's such a big fan that, you know, and he, I think he, has come up to the fact to be like, I think just Heroes vs. Villains completely soured his experience of yeah. Survivor. But coming out of Gabon, I think he was totally rip-roar and ready to go, especially like given the honor of playing for the second time. And just considering his general persona and temperament, I think by far he's a villain. Yeah, no, absolutely. I had no qualms at all with this pick. He delivered in every single scene he was in in Gabon. And then don't forget, Gabon was only a couple seasons before this, so he's still fresh in people's head. Yeah, he was a uh, great pick. Although, I I will take offense. At one point in the season, they say, oh, and Randy's the old guy. We have to get rid of the old guy because he's a detriment. And like... I seem to remember Randy still holds the the streak for the most consecutive challenge wins. So it's like, I, it's weird at one point in the season they say, let's get rid of Randy because he'll hurt us in the challenges, yet they keep Courtney Yates. Which is, anyway, I just wanted to point that out, that Randy brings a lot to the table, and even though he doesn't do well in the season, I thought he was a fantastic pick. Paul, anything to add on that? Um, I think Randy is like really fun and I, we talk about the we'll talk about the female villains here uh in probably about 35 minutes at the rate we're going but um i think the fact that we don't have corinne it's like okay well then we need to have we need to have if we have sugar on one side we need the the other side here so i i think he's a fun pick uh to throw in there with the villains that's an interesting point paul do you think that there were some castings in mind considering people on the other tribes like one example i can think of is redem um Kara Moen. one of the reasons why francesca ended up being cast and her ultimate fate was because they had philip on and they thought she would sort of be a nice foil to sort of drudge up that old relationship i mean do you think part of the reasons why one of sugar or randy might have been cast is because the other one was sort of guaranteed to be on the other tribe that's good i never thought about that yeah, and and I don't know if it's like, if it was that much intentional, but also just because it was so recent, that kind of feud of like Sugar and then Corinne and Randy was it was just so alive that it just felt like it was something that was happening going into the season as well. So I think it just was kind of the 
the the zeitgeist, if you will. All right, so uh, let's move on to the next villain here. And uh, this guy's this Russell Hans. Any thoughts on this guy? I mean, it, it's a no-brainer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this on Samoa that all throughout Samoa, Samoa, we think, at least I do, I don't, I don't want to speak for you guys, but it was basically edited as a commercial for Heroes versus Villains. They wanted to showcase Russell so much because they knew he was going to do well in Heroes versus Villains. So, yeah, I mean, he was the biggest, the greatest thing since sliced bread, the biggest name in Survivor at that time. It was such a no-brainer he was going to be here. So, yeah, I mean, that's there was a 0% chance. They, they may have done the season just so they could have Russell, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, the the stuff that he did to the point of where, you know, when you're when you're people are making comparisons back to Richard Hatch for this guy, like he needs to be on. I will say, I don't know how many episodes we'll get into this. I, for some reason, had thought that Russell was pretty insignificant to the first few episodes of Survivor <laughs> Heroes versus Villains. Boy, was I wrong, especially <laughs> to the point that uh, I think Jay made before about sometimes the editorializing that goes in on the previously on man, they are going to keep on that Russell-centric note moving forward, but especially with the uh, previously on and next time on. Yeah, for the record, Mike Bloom thought that there was a moment when there wasn't enough Russell in seasons 19 and 20. <laughs> I know, strike me down, please. <laughs> you fool. <laughs> yeah, Paul, anything new to add on Russell? I'm sure we'll have plenty to say on him through the season here. Well, I don't, now I'm like, oh, there's not enough Russell. We need to fill the time and talk about Russell. No, we will talk about plenty of Russell and the whole backstory of him and, and how his entry to the game impacted people's opinions of him. So let's just keep moving forward and knowing that we will be talking about a Russell for a very long time. All right. Moving on. Next, we have Tyson. And I will flat out say I loved this pick at the time. And it's one of those things since Tyson has played since then. Tyson played it again later, a couple seasons after this. And people remember that one. That I think people might forget that Tyson was kind of an inspired, maybe borderline choice here. Like, because he wasn't as big a villain as Coach. But it is odd that they take Coach and his assistant coach and put him on the same tribe here. But I was super happy to see Tyson back just because I think Tyson always delivers in scenes. Yeah, I think the point that you made is the prevailing one that I think obviously the ones that stick out in terms of like the what choices for casting are Candace and Danielle from heroes versus a heroes and a villains perspective. But I'd say Tyson might be like the, the third from the bottom in terms mm -hmm. of like uh questionable, just because, and again, it's not that he doesn't, you know, earn his spot as a returning player. He finished in eighth place. He showed himself to be a physical threat. He definitely had quips for the world. But when you bring back his closest ally and put him on the same tribe, it just, you know, Coach absolutely outshines Tyson. Say what you want to about Tyson, but Coach outshines Tyson and Token Sheen. So when you bring them both back, it's not too dissimilar for bringing back Jerry and Amber together for Survivor All-Stars. Mm -hmm. uh, where you're like, oh, you're bringing back two people who were in a close alliance together where one's a bigger character than the other. That's interesting. And... You know, I will say that, like, I think Tyson perfectly states his welcome here as well. He's gonna have he's gonna have some quips, and then he's gonna have his big move uh, that promptly, you know, takes himself out of the game. But I will say, at the time, he was someone that people were saying uh, that's a little bit of an odd choice, which is crazy considering you know how much of a big player he became and how much of a big voice of the community he is now. Yeah, the thing the thing I always liked about Tyson is that he feeds right into the narrative here of villains just doing villainous things because he just talks crap about people. So, yeah, I think he was a good choice in that regard. <clears throat> 
But again, he is one that, like you said, would, I think you said he get, gets a lot of moments. He's one that I kind of forget is even in this season because he doesn't really have a lot of scenes. Although one thing I do want to bring up, I don't know if Paul or Jay was going to bring this up, is that I think— I was going to. Yeah, you were going to. Yeah, this was a—there's a pro wrestling term about Tyson. No, but uh, Tyson, I think, serves a very functional purpose in this season. And this is something I think people might not think about is that— like you said, the Heroes Tribe was stacked. They had these male athletes who were just all Greek gods and challenge beasts. You needed a couple villains to match up to them because they were going to have physical challenges. And Tyson is one of the rare male villains who's like a really, really big, strong, good athlete. And so I think he serves a functional point that he kind of counterbalances someone like James or Tom Westman, that they kind of needed someone like that on the tribe. Oh, I wasn't going to say that, but, you know... You're right. I wasn't going to say it either, but I have thought about that a lot in my past, so I kind of was going to say it. <laughs> you thought about it at one point in time. That was very <laughs> heroic of you to think about that, Paul. <laughs> Thanks. So by definition, I'm a hero. Mm. So we're breaking the podcast up to the heroes and villains now? Sure. <laughs> All right, let's not do that then. All right, Wow, Paul, that, has, that hesitancy really makes you a hero, that you actually took the time to say, this is my role, and I'm going to step into that role. He stepped off the mat and chose. All right, Jay, what were you going to say about Tyson? Oh, I was just going to bring up the fact that there's a reason why we didn't see a lot of Tyson. Is this like a riddle? No, it isn't a riddle, but it's just Tyson sort of employed a strategy where he didn't really want to give confessionals. Oh, good. <laughs> but because he felt sort of that, you know, when you give a confessional, like what we don't see when there's a confessional is that the producer or the camera person or whoever is there with you when you're doing the confessional, they're asking you questions mm -hmm. and they're asking you questions based on the game. And clearly they've seen footage or they've, you know, heard other things that are going around. And so Tyson, the, the, the rumor goes is that Tyson felt that, you know, some things that he did perhaps um, in his previous season, you know, things got leaked out, not on purpose, but just through the the questions that were asked in confessionals. And so Tyson wanted to have a strategy and he wanted to, you know, sort of keep tight lipped or a Danny Boatwright type thing going on where like he didn't really want to talk to anybody about his strategy, which, you know, is a decent way to go. But on the other hand, you don't get a lot of confessional time then if you don't give confessionals. I had actually never heard that. That's That makes a lot of sense. I'm actually shocked more players don't do that. Because I, I would, I've always said if I was on Survivor, I'd never give my true thoughts on anything because I don't want people to know. <laughs> like, I'd be like the baseball player who won't talk to the reporters. Like, fuck you. You're not getting in my head. So, yeah, I'm always shocked that more people don't do that. So I, I'm glad you brought that up. That's interesting that that's a strategy that was Tyson did not win this time, but it's a strategy that was employed successfully by two winners of the Survivor franchise. <laughs> All right, let's go to our fifth male villain here, and this is a very popular choice, uh, Boston Rob Mariano, which I, I have to say I'm enjoying watching. Um, for people who don't know, we watch these seasons right before we record the podcast. So just this morning and last night, I was watching Heroes vs. Villains. And it's funny because I was watching, I'm watching Marquesas concurrently because I'm writing my book and that's the season I'm writing chapters about. So it's funny watching 2002 Rob Mariano, and then what is this like 2008 Rob Mariano? Like, it's funny watching them concurrently because he's such a different player and such a different character and kind of porky at the start of <laughs> Heroes versus Villains. He's gained a lot of weight. So, but yeah, he was a big name in Survivor history at the time, obviously. Um, 
yeah, that I mean, there was no one bigger. He was a huge get that he was coming back. This was his first time after All-Stars, which people always to this day still think, oh, yeah, Boston Rob won All-Stars. No, he did not. He kind of choked that one and was one of the greatest villains of all time in All-Stars. So it was a big get for him to uh, come back here. Any other any other thoughts on him coming back? I mean, this was, it's hard to think of a time in Survivor history where Boston Rob was not like out of the lips of really every Survivor player and commenter. Uh, But this was, you know, it had been 12 seasons since we saw Rob last. And I would say that Rob is probably the most changed out of any of these returnees between seasons where, you know, in in Marquesas and All-Stars, he's sort of playing as this cocksure kid. Uh, But now coming in, he's gotten married. He has a child. I think he says that, like, he's learned patience. He's learned discipline. And so, you know, it's so interesting to watch this knowing how 22 plays out. Could you really start to see him kind of implement the strategy that he'll ultimately like play to perfection in Redemption Island in this season? This is sort of like his trial run for what's to come. Yeah, but really, that's what people need to know. This is the return of Boston Rob after a really, really long absence. Yeah, so in, in like in a similar way, the excitement around getting something like Steph back, I think it's very similar thing of like, oh, duh, yes. Rob needs to be on this tribe and sweet that he's actually back. And I think that he bridges the other all-star season, which, you know, you don't necessarily have to do, but I think it's a clever thing to do because, you know, even though there are characters like Colby and Rupert and Jerry who were on the previous all-star season that are here on heroes versus villains, I think I'm remiss to say that you don't think about survivor all-stars without thinking about Boston Rob. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, he he also sort of him being there is a nice subtle reminder, not only to old school survivor, not only is he an incredible character and, you know, is always worth the television time that he that he is given. But, you know, he's our he's our all stars representative in a way. Yeah. And for a modern fan base who might think, oh, I'm kind of tired of Boston Rob. I'm sick of him overkill. That really wouldn't have been the case here. Like, I can't. Even I, I kind of got tired of Boston Rob after Redemption Island. Like, I was excited to see him here. So I can't imagine there would have been any of this um, undercurrent of people just saying, oh, no, not him again. It's overkill. Like, I think it was exciting to see him here. Although this does lead into a question here, is he on the right tribe? Now, obviously, if you know All-Stars, you think, oh, he was kind of his comeback in All-Stars. And, you know, he, he earned his place as a villain. But I have heard Jeff Probst go on record and say, well, Boston Rob was the hero in All Stars. He should be a hero. So it's like it's it's really interesting perspective how you would classify him. And again, it goes back to the argument: is it is it really fair to simplify people into one or one thing or the other? But you could make the argument that he was kind of heroic. You know, he stuck with his girl. He won the girl. They got married. They had a life. They had babies. They're the one successful you know survivor couple that everyone holds up. Like you could make the argument he was a hero here, although. I think it would have been hard to do at the time. Like at that time, I would have been hard. But nowadays, you could make the argument he might be a hero. But then on the other hand, you have, you know, guy who brags and makes fun of people and slit the throat of one of his closest friends. Uh, mm-hmm. and, I mean, you were just watching Marquesas back. Like even if you just consider his original season like we do with some of these people, like I think he's very braggadocious. He getting rid of Hunter was considered a very villainous move at the time. So I think, you know, he's going to show a lot of shades of gray immediately starting this game. He'll be, you know, the most heroic villain 
of them all, but I feel like going in, I, I would say it's much more weighed towards villain than hero. Yeah, that's a solid argument. I'm just saying Jeff Probst would argue complete the opposite. But he also has kind of a big boy crush on Boston Rob, so hard to say. <laughs> All right, so those are our five male villains. Again, just anybody you think got screwed, should have been here, do you think might have been considered? Mike, do you have any backstory on who else might have been cast? So we have uh, two guys have come forward and said that they were supposed to be on Heroes vs. Villains but got cut at the last minute and replaced with Russell when the producers realized how much gold Russell is as a villain. Those are Shane Powers and Jonathan Penner, who have both at least been given chances to return, but they at Mm -hmm. least have said that they were considered uh, fair play, you know, said he was considered at one point. We don't know if that's true. Obviously, legality... Uh, you know, aside, Richard Hatch would have been by far one of the best gets for this. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of who some of these big male villains were in that 10 through 20 era. Uh, a quick side story as you think about that, Mario, was I was doing some uh, research on articles that came out before the time, and part of the leaking of of Heroes vs. Villains came when um, Richard Hatch legally petitioned to be able to leave the country to do the show, but he still yeah. was whatever. It was such an interesting article to see that he used that is is uh what was it called like I what do they call it item A or F, what do they call that when you uh, um legally when you attach something of like evidence or whatever you're like supporting documents his exhibit first a. one exhibit exhibit yeah that yeah, was like the email from Lynn Spillman that was like, he was not supposed to share but that was like came out in the that was his his first thing that he included and just saying that I would need to leave the country for this and obviously end up being denied but uh um I think I think the male villain slot is like one of the most um like competitive for for people you could hypothetically have had as male villains okay here's one that comes to my head immediately and that's todd from china Mm, i mean considering you know todd's stuff that happened after this season uh might not have made the most sense but i think if you're looking at like a male villain he was definitely one of the most negative winners we had had in quite some time so i think that makes sense yeah then again he would have had him and courtney and amanda all in the same season so and james i mean that's a lot of representation so but he's one that just jumps into my head that might have been good here and again like someone like dreams although dreams was never especially popular so he would have been a tough sell i think what about someone like alex from survivor (laughs) fiji like i feel like he he would be like he's smarmy enough and i'm also looking at this to your point mario about like the athleticism of it all like if you can find a fit young male villain i feel like that would have been like the perfect type of casting yeah see unfortunately fiji was just not popular so i can see them not wanting to do that and unfortunately not popular and being in the wrong era also precludes brian heideck who i would have loved to see here (laughs) but what about his writer (laughs) No Judd, no Jamie, no chance of anyone from Guatemala. Yeah, that's a shame because there were, I mean, again, this is a solid group of five, but I do agree you could replace Tyson there with someone who might have been a little more representative of their own season. I mean, you could say, like, you can make an argument for Chris Doherty. Again, mm-hmm. I don't know how that would have, uh, they would have stacked up to the males. And I know that technically in a, in a vacuum, maybe his, uh, his story is more of an underdog heroic edit. But considering just how reviled he was at the time uh, and his like penchant for lying, he could have been a good pick. Yeah, or the feckless Mick. What <laughs> a Ben Browning, big fan favorite Ben Browning. Oh boy. <laughs> no. Okay, so there's our five male villains. Let's go to the females here, because I do, would like to get through at least one episode in this. Oh, and, I, and of course, like, Rob Sesternino. How is, why would he not be a good a lock pick for this? 
Yeah, no, Cesta, see, yeah, it was one of those things. I think he was a little too far back that he people have kind of forgotten about him by then, which is and very silly to say now. But yeah, I think that I, I obviously would have, would have loved him in it, but it would have been interesting to see him stack up against like Colby in those gladiator challenges. Well, but here's the other question. And, you know, Mike, I think that you're a person to answer this, seeing, you know, the universe that, that you were in is that right around heroes versus villains is sort of when a lot of these podcasts are starting up. And I would think that RHAP is, you know, either going or starting up right around this time. Right. It does. Yeah. Well, basically to give a bit of background, like Rob, due to his experience during Amazon and also just because the life stuff had sort of tuned out during the middle seasons, but he actually came back, I believe for heroes versus villains, just because of, again, to talk up the acclaim that was building around this season and the people that were coming back. And so he started RHAP during Survivor Heroes versus Villains. And my my first podcast was on the premiere of Survivor Heroes versus Villains. So uh, back in the day, that's when the tribe uh, came into existence as well, which is now funny to be podcasting about an episode that I can remember <laughs> podcasting about. Like I can remember some specific things that were said in that podcast from uh, nearly, you know, many, many years ago now. Yeah. Well, I, okay. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I feel like this is the part of our podcast series where, you know, w- Hey, historians, what was things like at the time when the season happened? Like now that Rob has a podcast has started up, we are no longer the experts in this field. <laughs> We, you know, we still have opinions and we are, you know, I would say that, you know, our, our history and, and the amount of episodes we've watched give us, you know, a, a somewhat of an expertship just in the show of Survivor. But, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm tuning in to see what, what people felt at the time. It's like now, now we're at parts of the, of the, of the, of the seasons where everyone knows because yeah. now it's heavily documented online. We have handed off the baton officially, I think here. <laughs> I, I have to say one thing, though that Rob had a podcast long before RHAP. He was on the fishbowl. And I don't know if people know this, if RHAP fans wouldn't know this. But yeah, Rob was on the really first reality TV podcast. And this was back, I'm trying to think that when I was on a guest, I was on a guest on Palau, during Palau. I remember Rob asking me about Katie. So Rob is doing podcasts as far back as season 10 with, I think, was Jenna Lewis on there, was his co-host. So Rob may not have been eligible to be asked back at a certain point because he was kind of the media at a certain point. So I'm just saying that there might have been an era where Rob couldn't be asked back. It might have somewhere there. I forget exactly when the fishbowl stopped and how long he was gone and how long before Mm -hmm. RHAP started. But he was doing podcasts long before that. Right, but I would also make the argument that, like, if they really wanted him on there, it wouldn't matter what media credentials he had. They would have had him on there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could make the argument that he was allowed to do a podcast because they didn't want him. (laughs) I mean, you could make that, too. Okay, so those are our five male villains, and let's go to our five female villains here. And we start off uh, with—I'm going to start with Courtney Yates, who— I mentioned in my in an hour and a half ago at our preamble that I, I thought she was such a fantastic choice and just not because she does anything villainous or that she's an especially strong player, just that I think she makes scenes better just because she's so fun to listen to her talk about stuff. So I thought she was a really inspired choice, even though she might argue like, why was I a villain? What the hell did I do? Yeah, she's super fun, too, and and we know that she had been asked back for Micronesia, so it was nice that she had enough time to recover and come back, and I think she's, she's like, a fun take on what a villain is. Like, that's one that maybe you don't, like, she definitely is not a hero, so if you think about if she were to swing one way, 
it definitely would be on the villain side. So I, I like I like this pick. I don't know. Kids considered her a hero. Remember, <laughs> they did. Even though she said she hates kids. <laughs> Again, which like, and it's sort of like I th- I think you know I don't want to boil a person's game and persona down to one action. But when you tell someone that they suck at life, like that pretty much skews you in the villain column, right? Yeah. Well, I had someone argue with me the other day, just saying, well, Courtney could have been a hero. I'm like, not after that Denise sucks at life quote. I mean, I, some people I, think, some people think telling, telling an unemployed woman that she sucks at life is villainous, but she was telling the truth. Yeah, we she, thought that was a hero. She's <laughs> encouraging employment and work ethic. How heroic is that? Just a uh, behind the scenes story. I will say I've, I've met and dealt with a lot of survivors over the years, just behind the scenes. Two of the nicest ones I have ever dealt with are both on the villains tribe this season. And those are Boston Rob and Courtney Yates that I just found them incredibly nice in real life. So it's funny that they, they become on the villains, but just from my experience, they're both super nice people. I got to tell you guys, we are two hours into this podcast Yeah. and we have not gotten to episode one and it doesn't seem like we're going to get to episode one anytime soon. I am, I, I just, I don't know. I feel like this podcast is getting the best of me. Uh, we got to call in medical Jay, Jay. Stay with us. Eye contact, Jay. Someone have eyes on Ramona. I just, I, I just can't. Talk. All right, I mean, all right, Jay, Jay, I want you to stop crying and just answer a question for me. Can you poop? I mean, I'll, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go give it a try. All right, all right. We're not gonna pull him. He's gonna attempt the poop, but we're gonna keep a close monitor on him. All right. He's just got a, a case of cry poopyitis. I think he's gonna be all right. I mean, Jay, I'm trying to bromance here on my idol. I need you to stick with us. It, I don't know. <laughs> I just I'm trying to poop and it's it's all good it's all just too much and we have talked so much about nothing and I don't know what to do <laughs> all right you you're, you're KJ I don't want to I don't want to lose you we need you here okay just 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 give me a minute okay all right now Russell said he's gonna burn your little hat bearded hat guy so are you okay if he burns your hat <laughs> better that than your beard yeah seriously <laughs> All right, Jay. I have I have more than one hat, you know. (laughs) He has a plethora of hats, one might say. Plethora, El Wapo. All right, so you're back, Jay. You're you're with us. I think I'm I think I'm here. I think I'm good. All right, just drink water, stay hydrated. You don't need to be the hero. You don't need to build the shelter. You don't need to do everything for us. We're here for you. I don't need to be the hero, but do I need to be a hero? Well, it depends on if you speak your truth and if That's you true. mutiny against your friends. <laughs> like Jay's gonna leave us and ditch and ditch us and go back to the tribe, and that will make him heroic. Look, man, I just I just admitted about how I was feeling at this moment. I feel like that's a pretty heroic thing. All right, that's fair. All right, so Jay goes on the pussy tribe. <laughs> no, never mind. All right, so here we go, villains. We did Courtney, and now we'll go to number two, who is. Uh, Jerry, the Black Widow herself, obviously kind of a no-brainer here, although, you know, people have written volumes and essays over the years about how Jerry wasn't really that bad and didn't really do anything bad in Australia, and I will fully agree with you. I don't think she was that bad, but if you're you going to put her on the villain tribe, she's got to be there, yeah. There's, yeah this I'm, is a no-brainer. Though I do have, love her line of her saying, I feel like I'm Mother Teresa out here compared to, like, even some of the other female villains, like what they did, Jerry's like, I mean, I complained that a guy couldn't cook the rice well. Like, what? Does this really compare? <laughs> right. What? What's way different about of Jerry coming back into this 
season is all the pregame stuff. And as we see in the beginning of the of the first episode is how she's really embraced this villainous side of her where, you know, all the time she's always fighting that that persona of being a villain. But what's super dumb about it is like Jeff is the acts like she's like he makes a comment in the first episode about uh, Jerry Manthe like still embracing that villainous title. I'm like still, still embracing it. This is like totally a, a, a whole different approach she's taken. Like what the hell are you smoking, Jeff? Since when did she embrace the villain within herself? Right. Isn't and it, this is and interesting. Go ahead. I was like discount everything in all stars. We're like, okay, right. she was <laughs> trying to get Colby voted out. But like, she basically was like, hi Lex, I'm going to be an extra vote for you. I will do whatever you need to do. Wow. What a villain. Well, speaking of all stars, <laughs> I was super surprised that she came back because the last time we saw Jerry, she was essentially maligning the show and then got booed so hard in Madison square garden that she walked off the set. Uh, I guess, you know, it's, it's good that a few years had passed. I feel like if this had taken place sooner, uh, maybe they wouldn't have necessarily wanted to invite her back. Yeah, I I try not to know too many survivors on a personal level, but just from what I know, I've never interacted with Jerry ever, but I do know she went through a really hard time because of Australia and All-Stars and the public, you know, anger towards her and people telling her she should die and stuff. Just, it's very heartening. And again, I try not to think of survivors on a personal level because I don't know them and I don't pretend to, but... It's very heartening to see how cathartic it was, I think, for Jerry this third time around that she's just going with it this time. She's just, you know what? I'm a villain. I'm going to be a villain my whole life no matter what they wanted, no matter what I do. I'm going to show up in my black hat. I'm going to tell people, let's get our villain on. Let's get our evil on. Like, she really embraces it and goes with it. And I have to say it's very it's very heartening just from a psychological point of view that it's, I, I believe it's very healthy for her to just steer into the curve of all these years she's gone through where this this was like the bane of her existence. So I just think it's it's really neat if you know your survivor history to see. I mean, her her still whole story arc this season is great, but just seeing her embrace how the show is going to market her, I think is very healthy for her. And I'm just it's nice to see her with a smile on her face because she never really had that before. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty awesome to see her back. Uh, and this will be by far the best she does, by far the best game she plays. She gets, from what the word is, extremely close to actually winning the season, which is pretty crazy. Uh, and it just makes me angry that I think we're going to talk a lot about that that unseen thing that apparently happened where Colby and Jerry finally got together one starry night and made up for all the turmoil that happened over the past 10 years. And it just makes me uh, ha- unhappy that we didn't see that because I think Jerry was going for that redemption part of that uh, new new motto that Paul talked about, and I feel like she got it. Yeah, I'm going to say a little bit of blasphemy here that I love our winner of the season, obviously, and I know Paul loves the winner of the season, but if Jerry had won this season, I think that would have been so cool. And I'll just say that right now. I, that's the ending I kind of prefer. I would have liked to see that. I think it would have been a really cool tie-in with Survivor history. Yeah, I mean, I know we're going to we're going to talk about it when we get there, like 12 hours from now, you know, in, in three podcasts from now. But I, I think that it, it can't be stated enough for the fact that, you know, if the winner of, of Heroes versus Villains isn't our winner, it's probably almost in a, in in a lot of scenarios. Jerry Manthe is the winner of Survivor Heroes versus Villains. And yeah. I think that most everyone would be super OK with that. <laughs> that would have been so cool. Can you imagine that universe? 
where we have the re- the reaction to Jerry in 2001 and then the reaction to Jerry winning t- like eight years later. <laughs> Just would have been so interesting to see her response to that. Well, I mean, I would still think that, you know, the there would still, again, they were edited differently, but you could say that these still same arguments would still surmise if she doesn't deserve it, Parvati deserved it, Russell got robbed again. So I don't know if it'd be that dissimilar than the universe that, that, that we're living in, but to your point, I think from a purely historical perspective in terms of, you know, Jerry's journey, it would have been a, a cool capper. Yeah. All right, so let's finish off these last three villains because we got one we got to talk about at the end. Um, the next one is Sandra. Now... I will say personally, I was shocked to see Sandra come back on Survivor. And this is something that will seem very odd to modern ears in that Sandra was not a major character in Survivor, really. She was always kind of that forgotten winner there in season seven. And like a lot of people thought she kind of got lucky, like Jenna Maraska. Those Jenna Maraska, um, uh, who else in there? Uh, Sandra, for, for some reason. Bob. Yeah, but these winners that no one really ever took seriously, it was always kind of the belief, well, you know, that was fair play season. Sandra just won because fair play sucked at the end and screwed up. Like, she never really got this respect. And even if you go back to my website, The Funny 115, she was not a major character on my, even though she was one of my favorite characters, she only had a couple little minor entries. Like, she was not the focus of that write-up. So I was shocked that they brought her back on Survivor because, again, there was no demand for her to come back there was no one really clamoring for it except maybe paul with his impression who if i recall paul what you won a contest like you were the one person that could impersonate sandra the best and it was like a big deal at the time because i don't think most fans knew who sandra was right but it was honestly it was during this season i always had an appreciation for sandra and a lot of it was because of of how she shows up in the funny 115 and, and i realized how funny she was but even going into the season i i was had much more allegiance to amanda because of the Montana connection, obviously, wow. you know, it, it's, it's true. I mean, my, I, Sandra was, was in the, my top, you know, my, probably my second or third person that I was really rooting for, but it wasn't until, you know, as, as the season gets going and stuff that I like kind of refall in love with her all, you know, again. So it, it's, it was, it was very surprising to have like exciting, but definitely a surprise. I think we finally answered the question to, like, if Amanda and Sandra are both drowning, Paul, which one would you save? I mean, based on the season, I guess it's Sandra. <laughs> yeah, it's true. One's a better, much better swimmer than the other. Yeah, based on reality, <laughs> Sandra drowns first. No, and, and, and last time someone accused uh, Sandra of not being a good swimmer, we saw uh, how that fight ended, so I'm not going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, I was happy to see Sandra back just because I really enjoyed her. As a character, I mean, to your point, Mario, there's a reason why Rupert is front and center for the Pearl Islands DVD <laughs> box and not Sandra. Yeah. But, I mean, Sandra Sandra was almost on All Stars. Uh, had she, you know, it was because it was so soon after Pearl Islands and I believe she had uh, contracted a disease while she was out there that she wasn't able to return. But I, I wouldn't say that she was, you know, exactly out of contention when it came to Survivor seasons. I think there was a lot of excitement behind her coming back because Pearl Islands is such a beloved season by the Survivor fandom at large, that I feel like if you bring back any sort of character, uh, with the exception of maybe a few Morgan people, people are going to be excited no matter what. And I do feel like maybe just by pure, you know, uh, by, by, by pure Pearl Island's gloriousness glomming onto Sandra, there was some hype behind her coming back. Here's my reaction to seeing Sandra on the cast list. Boy, it's going to be fun seeing her for an episode or two and getting a couple sound bites out of her. 
That was really my exactly what I expected her and her in the second time around. I'm like, well, she won. She's not athletic at all. She's lippy. She just yells at people. It'll be fun to at least get a couple funny 115 entries out of her, maybe. Like, I had no expectation she would do well the second time. Jay, what about you? I'm curious what your thoughts on her. I mean, I liked Sandra from Pearl Islands, but I mean, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say, you know, I mean, at this point in in the in the in the fandom, I'd say that, you know, I was defending Sandra as, as you know, doing OK about things. But I was shocked to see her on the cast list. And even so, I, I that's one of those where you just sit there and you go, why are you coming back? Why are you playing again? Like. You know, sometimes people, even even if they win or they do really, really well, we we ask, you know, why do you come back? Because, you know, uh, there's nowhere to go but down. But you can understand why Richard would want to come back and play the game again. You know, he's just like, look, I'm going to come back. And, you know, in a way, Richard's like, I've got to be toppled. Like someone's got to vote me out. It's just a thing that needs to happen. Right. Like sometimes there's there's a there's sort of a a reason for that. But like with Sandra, who was so um, controversial is not the right word, but for someone who has been severely questioned within the survivor community as a credible winner of the game, you know, and I know that most of us don't agree with that. I get that, but you know, you have to, you have to admit that most, there's a large contingent of people online. They're like, Sandra's a terrible winner of survivor Pearl islands. And so it's like, why would you go back and subject yourself to probably getting voted out again and losing? And then everyone's like, yeah, see, see, see. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that Sandra's reputation was really Natalie White's reputation at this point. Like Natalie is not going to come back. She's going to get crapped on again. Like it's almost the same way with Sandra. So obviously Sandra's reputation has changed immensely since Heroes versus Villains. But yeah, that was the thing to Jay's point. Why would she come back? She's just going to be disrespected again. No one has ever accepted her win as being legitimate. So it's really interesting how the perception of her has changed so much. Nowhere to go but up. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, plenty to say about Sandra. Uh, next up, Parvati. Um, I already said my thoughts on Parvati. I, I was shocked she was invited back from Micro. I didn't get it. To me, she was the amber of the cast. There's no reason she should have been there. But flash forward two years and now she is a survivor winner and she is the face whether it's deserved or not of the black widow brigade if you're picking a survivor villain she is a very very strong choice i think at this point and i think if you're looking for to your point about tyson mario who's going to deliver the best villainous sound bites considering that poverty has that like very toothy smile and flirtatious giggle that she gives off i mean she's going to be a big focus in episode three in particular for that very reason and so i feel like if you're saying like who's the who comes off the most villainous out of this black widow brigade it's her and it's natalie and even though uh, you know natalie was going to natalie bolton was very very close to being on this season she wasn't and so it makes sense why parvati is our requisite villain for the alliance how about you paul what's your parvati thoughts here at this point i mean i think like it just like I remember when the cast came out, it just was like we're just having like Sari, Parvati, and Amanda. It was like okay, they're all back again, and they just kind of seemed like three that were in a package. So I just feel like there was not a, like a debate like should she be there or not. It just was like it was recent enough. 
they were influential enough that it's like, okay, sure. But I do think she's like, we discussed earlier, she's one of the, the grayest of, of, of which, what is poverty? Is she, is she a villain? Is she a hero? She's, I mean, she's liked by a lot of people, but not a fan favorite. She's influential. Like she's hard to peg down. She would, to the, what you guys were saying about Sandra, she was not liked at the time. Uh, she, you know, when, again, in the first episode, Jeff says, like, some of you won, but you're not very popular. Right. Shot, cut to poverty, because, uh, <laughs> yeah, at the cut to the end of our Micronesia podcast, when people were very, very unhappy with that final two, and especially unhappy with the winner. And especially at this time, and anything like that, anytime that someone is billed as, like, a femme fatale character, like, you're always going to be classed in the villain class, deserved or not. Yeah. It's funny because I have readers, a lot of readers, female readers in particular, or listeners to this podcast who hate Parvati. They will not listen to a scene if she's talking. They cannot stand her. And I'll even drag my wife into this, Diana. She she will not watch a survivor scene if Parvati's talking. She cannot stand anything about her. She'll she, Diana will be in a different room and I'll be watching Heroes versus Villains. And she's like, I hate Parvati. She'll just hear her voice and she just says that. So it's there's a very visceral reaction among a lot of females I've noticed to poverty. It's it's kind of interesting. So I think she's a very solid choice for the villain just because of that. But yeah, she's a, uh, yeah, well, we'll have plenty to say about poverty as we go along here. She's, she's going to be in a lot of episodes. Don't worry. <laughs> I feel it's tough. Cause I feel like some people are like, ah, poverty shouldn't be there. It's like, yeah, I remember she's a winner. You know what I yeah. mean? So if you're At a this winner, point, yeah, she's earned it. Yeah. What, how do you guys feel about the casting of, winners in this mix considering how things went in all-stars do you think the producers were trepidatious about putting them back in considering how quickly they could go out like they were in the previous installment well yes, first off i want to say jay already brought that up at the start yeah go for it jay well no you go you go i was gonna say yeah it was all-stars season eight was just a bigger time in survivor history where like the person who won was going to become a legitimate celebrity this was a big deal. Like you'd have entertainment options. You'd have a career. You could be an actor. All sorts of stuff would happen to that person. By season 20, it's not such a big deal. So I don't think the winner stigma was as strong. So no, I don't think they. Re- I don't think it was a big deal at all to anybody at this point. Yeah, I, I think that that's more what it is in the sense that not that Survivor is is diminished or something like that. You know, if you won season three versus winning season 18, it's not like it's any worse in the sense you won a game of survivor like hats off to you all winners deserve accolades for winning survivor and all that sort of stuff but i i think that mario's right in the sense that not only was the community smaller but the game was bigger in the sense of you know how people uh, perceived it and so i think that people were more okay with with winners being there and such and i think that because I think that ultimately they sort of thought of, well, a winner's not going to win twice. Like ultimately they're going to get to the end and no one's going to vote for him. And so, you know, I think that, you know, there was such a stigma the first time, you know, when Jenna Lewis was leading the anti-winners thing, obviously with Saboga there. But I think Ethan brings up the point where he's like, bring a winner and then no one will vote for a winner. And it's, I mean, obviously lol. But at the same time, you know, it's a decent enough strategy. So I feel like because the fact that people won is not initially how people are going to go into this game, but it may factor in later. Yeah. And it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't hurt that two of the female winners, Parvati and Sandra 
are people that historically no one really accepted their win as being legitimate. So it's like, yeah, there's winners here, but they're not as big a threat as Boston Rob, even though Boston Rob didn't win. So it's like, it just wasn't that big a deal. Now, Tom and JT is a whole different yeah. argument on the other side, but whatever. But yeah, I just don't think it was that big a stigma at this point anymore. All right, let's get to our final villainous here. And this is the one, of course, we've all had a good chuckle at so far. Uh, Danielle. Paul, do you remember what Jeff said about why Danielle is villainous? Um, the rationale is that she had uh, she went to Terry, befriended him. He taught her how to make fire. Then she cut his throat. <laughs> so she played you, the game, yeah. and that makes her a villain. <laughs> she, you know, she voted <laughs> she voted off someone who would have creamed her in the final two. Yes, <laughs> what a villain. <laughs> so by that definition jan gentry or no jan did she did she win that final three no she didn't but yeah no okay yeah that's a very questionable <laughs> rationale for a villain she voted somebody but else. i mean you know with her it's like okay and actually i think had this i mean danielle is like maybe like half the level of candace in this regard i remember like that Danielle was a potential person talked about going into fans versus favorites. Like she was, it wasn't the craziest idea. So I think had this been a few years earlier, it wouldn't have been that crazy of an idea. I mean, she rubbed people the wrong way. She was kind of obnoxious. Like she's not a bad choice for returning player. I think Mike, you said that the best, but like as a top five female villain of all time, yeah, not so much, but as we'll talk about in the season, I think she brings it. I mean, she is like, she's willing to mix it up with everyone. So I'm, I'm actually glad she is on the season. Yeah. This was, I, I think retroactively, I'm more agreeable to this decision when we went back and watched exile Island and just remembering how contentious she was. I think everyone sort of remembers with Kasaya, like Shane and Courtney really going at it, but Danielle was very much involved in there as well. And we also, I think, I forgot who mentioned this before, but we talked up a lot of like her, how much of a role she played, especially towards the end of the season. So, well, I don't necessarily think the one maneuver that she did would make her villainous. If we're sort of putting her in the same camp as Sandra and Courtney of, you know, people who get vocal and are argumentative, I could see a bit of that logic as to making her a villain. Again, she would probably be, you know, 10th or 11th down on the list, but she would still make that list over being a hero. Yeah, and again, I should point out that she wasn't the one that all my ire was directed towards when I saw the cast list. It was Amanda. Danielle was like, ah, I can fight that battle later. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of who I would rather have there instead of Danielle. Like, someone like uh, Corinne obviously kind of jumps out, although then you have Corinne and Randy on the same tribe. Uh, you could even go somewhere back to, uh, Exile Island and take Courtney, um, um what's her last name? Merit. I always forget. Merit. Merit. Yeah. Courtney, like she was kind of a villain at times. I mean, biggest villain of all time. Jean was snubbed. <laughs> <laughs> Talk then, about bitch number one. Now, see, I would have loved to go back and grab someone like Heidi for this spot. Heidi's the person I want there. <laughs> yes. But more realistically, the fact that Natalie Bolton wasn't on it, was, I mean, it also goes back to the Micronesia thing. I mean, she, you know, she, even though, you know, we've we've talked at length about how she was so invisible, but I mean, coming out of Micronesia, like, really well-known villain. Uh, I would, I would also make it. the argument, I mean, Amy Cusack, if you're just considering yes. Vanuatu, mm -hmm. she would have been a slam dunk. I wonder if it was just because, like, 
she had such sort of like an okay showing in Micronesia that the producers might not have thought to bring her back. But... I, I think it was just they said we can't do more than four people, and this is who we have to prioritize because almost any like almost everyone of those of those um, favorites you could make an argument to come back for like every single one of them. So mm-hmm. I think that they just had to prioritize the four that for sure they needed to have back. I'm sorry. I'm still sticking with my Heidi pick. I want Heidi in Heroes versus Villains. <laughs> Heidi was among the most disliked females no, no. I've ever here's seen what, in Survivor. Here's what I think. Let's go back to season three. Kim befriended Lex. Then she won the final immunity <laughs> challenge and cut his throat. Oh, well, could she put Nalia in there as well? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nalia, the Mormon. <laughs> All right, guys, you, you, you have to come up with a, with a villain. And remember, give preference to seasons 11 through 20. Heidi. <laughs> I, I'm just overriding my rule because Heidi was such a big deal. And I think Heidi was is bigger than that rule right there. Okay, maybe Twyla was an option. Yeah, Twyla, Twyla apparently was an alternate. I know that to, your, to what you said before, Mario, Corinne actually was considered, but she had to decline like Yao Man due to work. Uh, so there could have been a chance we would have gotten Corinne and Randy on the same tribe. And I should point out that Twyla is no closer to 11 through 20 than Heidi is. They're both before that, so. She's closer you to 11. The rule, though. We didn't make the rule. Well, why does Jay yell at me? I mean, is this podcast still getting the best of you, Jay? Are you still all wacky in the head? No, but I'm holding you to your own damn standard. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, Corinne and Natalie Bolton are the two obvious ones there. I'm surprised that Paul put Gene over Alexis. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I'm surprised you didn't say Karen. Talk, talk about talk about a Palau trio: Tom, Stefan, Karen. I I follow the rules, Paul. Oh, that's right. Okay, the one through ten. No, but it was ten on or after ten. What's the rule? That that would have been crazy if it was uh, Karen versus Tom in those separate <laughs> tribes. Because like, I mean, she's a very good actress. So I can imagine she's she's still trying to put on that stank face with Tom. Wait, we're forgetting one of the most dynamic villains of all time who does happen to be in 11 through 20, Becky, Becky Lee. No, no, no. Actually, no, Joe, who I actually, I remember, like, this is kind of coming back to me. I used to be very much, like, thinking all the time about casting it. What, what, a pick I always thought, which I think maybe they went for someone more like a Danielle because she was, like, more physically fit. But I thought putting in Stacy from Fiji would have been a really, really fun pick. <laughs> oh, well, man, if, if, they, Stacey... if they had won the coffee reward, just forget about it. <laughs> well, if you're going Stacy, why not go Lisi? <laughs> oh, that's right, yes. <laughs> Oh, dear God. <laughs> Could you imagine Lisi with Coach? <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, now no, I want this to happen. Least, I want the fan least... edit. At least once a month in my real life, I still say uh, to my wife or vice versa, cool, whatever. <laughs> like, imagine, like, Ross and Rob building the shelter. Meanwhile, Lisey's smashing ants with a hammer on a tree and just laughing to herself. <laughs> now, I'm going back to Heidi. I want to see Heidi and Coach trying to one-up each other. They would be an endless loop. They've done more amazing things than anybody else. Come on. Please get behind me on this Heidi one. I can't. Fuck you. <laughs> but here, here's why, and I'm and I'm gonna bring this in there. It's Heidi from Amazon. Yes, I can get behind that. But you know, she's she's like been married to Cole Hamels at this point for for a while now, hasn't she? I don't know. This is like what ten years ago. I don't know what was going on. Like something tells me that she's already like she's now you know a a, 
a wife of a major league baseball player and like runs charities and things like that. Like she's not going to be the same person. <laughs> well, they have Stephanie. She's the same thing. She's married to a professional baseball player. Yeah. But you know, Stephanie's tough. <laughs> <laughs> ah, never mind. All right. So there are our 10 uh, cast members or 20 cast members for heroes versus villains. It only took us two hours to get through the preamble. Uh, Mike, before we go to episode one, is there any, I know you said some other scuttle on people who, who are close to being cast, who were asked. I know there's like 70 players out there who all claim they were almost cast on Heroes versus Villains. Any notable ones? Yeah, I'll read a few out here. Apparently, Amy O'Hara, I know we were talking about like all, everyone on the season made the jury at some point, but one exception would have been Amy O'Hara from Guatemala was apparently cast, then cut, and, was, repla- and was replaced by Candace for a hero. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. We talked about we talked about Shane and Jonathan. Uh, Kenny from Gabon was apparently an alternate. S- similarly, from Gabon, Ace was in contention to yes. come back. Uh, the original get a look get a load of this guy. Yeah. Uh, Al- Alicia was considered, seemingly as a villain, if we're going with the mouthy angle. Uh, apparently, Danny Boatwright was considered but declined. Much like you know, Tom sort of said before, saying she would only do all winners. Apparently, one person production really wanted back. Hunter Ellis, uh, but Hunter said his wife was pregnant and was about to give birth, so she had to turn it down. And a few other old school people that were asked, Kelly Goldsmith and the She-Devil herself, but the, both had to turn it down. I and, also heard that uh, Sierra from uh, Token Chains was yes. in contention. Six Sierra, yes. Now, of course, we have to point out the fact that Mike Scoopin was apparently asked for every season to come back. <laughs> He, he had always claimed that he was one of the last people cut on like every returnee season. So apparently he was in the mix here, which would have been very interesting if he had been on the heroes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also I think another perspective hero, uh, Eric Reichenbach was apparently considered, but mm. I, if we're talking about like the psychological turmoil that Jerry went through, I would not want to bring that guy back on two years after embarrassing himself on national television. <laughs> and I heard Rafa, the guy that judged the uh, shelters and all-stars. Yeah, Rafa, and, Rafa, that his name? Uh, and Corazon came was was briefly considered. <laughs> yes. <laughs> how, yeah, about, if, how about Da? Da, yeah, Da was the man. Those those red berets from Thailand, the two that were at the camp during Grindgate, they were there. But yeah, it's one of these things. If you go out on the internet and you read these web pages, people who almost made all stars or prospective cast members, it's ridiculous to see how many players were asked and then have reported it so they're showing up on these websites oh they were almost cast i'm like they were not almost cast maybe they were asked but yeah all right my god i can't can't think of a more contextual grenade than mike (laughs) scoopin as a hero he would have been great on the heroes oh yeah that's that's a lovely speaking of time capsules your australia podcasts are so much fun now (laughs) given the circumstances you know salt of the earth that guy all right Uh, i hope that hope that's salt (laughs) All right, so are we ready to delve into episode one? What are we? We're going like two and a half hours in. Yeah, we are. We are two and a half hours in. Before we do, can I just touch quickly on the surviving survivor special because it's still up on well, I mean, Hulu. Mike, go ahead, take a half an hour on it because I mean we're, we're almost to the end of this episode. Why start? Why Listen, guys, there's out? there's no recap episode yeah. for Heroes versus Villains, so I need to do Mike Strainious stuff here. <laughs> I was going to point out, Heroes vs. Villains episode one is two hours long and is one of the most significant episodes in Survivor history. So I'm sure we're just going to rush through that in ten minutes. <laughs> I was I was just going to ask you guys, like, did you really want to get into episode one? Or 
You know, I don't think we're going to. I think our Thanksgiving gift to everyone is we don't talk about <laughs> Is that we talk villains. about the cast of Heroes versus Villains for two and a half hours. Now, Mike, this is, now, this is let's finish this off here, Mike. You got to talk about the special. Can I, can I be honest with you guys, though? This is like the funnest episode ever. Holy crap. <laughs> that makes you a hero, Jay. You express how you feel. I mean, we really appreciate that. You get a little wine into Paul, and this is what happens. Everything's fun now. <laughs> I so, actually kind of like you guys when I'm drunk. <laughs> That's a very Randy-like thing to say, Paul. Maybe you're a villain now. Uh, so, Surviving Survivor. So, this was a special that aired, I want to say, like, a couple weeks before this season happened uh, for Survivor's 10th anniversary. And it's basically, like, an hour-long special celebrating Survivor. Jeff Probst hosts the interstitials behind these giant, like, what's, like, this, this Cinerama, like, whatever the technology they use in the, like, the China Pavilion in Epcot. That's essentially what they were doing with Jeff, where he has these giant screens behind him projecting random imagery from seasons. Uh, they did some talking heads with, like, Sari and Russell and Jerry and Colby and Coach just sort of, like, talking through the dehydration and some medevacs and stuff like that. Uh, the big moment is when Richard Hatch and Russell Hans sit down for the first time to face off. And it's basically like a two-minute pissing match, and that's about it. And the, we get some random uh, talking heads from Dalton Ross makes an appearance. Uh, Bill Carter from the New York Times appears to basically, like, they just talk about how culturally significant Survivor is. Elizabeth gets a segment, considering that the, at this point she's probably the most famous Survivor alum to, like, make something of their career after the fact. Uh, and then uh, it ends with, like, a brief little preview of Survivor Heroes vs. Villains Episode 1. Uh, just a brief glimpse of everyone in the cast. So, it's weird. I don't want to put a timestamp on this podcast too much, but that, as we are nearing 20 years of Survivor to watch a 10-year special of Survivor, but it's a nice relic of, you know, what where the franchise was at that point. Yeah, it's so crazy to think back and think that Heroes vs. Villains is that long ago. Because I, I still think of it as a fairly recent season, but it's not. Like, it's so early back in the time. Yeah, it's just... It's just, again, like you said, you don't want to date timestamp this podcast, but it's crazy how long Survivor has been on the air and how much content and how many people have played it over the years that we're trying to discuss. Like, we're so far behind. It's crazy. Well, it's it's just kind of crazy how Survivor, what they did for this 10-year anniversary, which I think is really cool. The We always talk about in the early seasons about you know, the the love they put into things and, and the effort they put into things. And I think they really did do a nice job with the season coming out. They had the big 10-year um, anniversary in L.A. where every Survivor uh, contestant was invited to. And I remember at the time, like, reading online who was there. And it was interesting which casts had almost everyone there and which cast only had a few people there. And then they had the whole Heroes versus Villains cast kind of treated like royalty. And it was interesting because the show had filmed and then they were making these appearances and and they actually officially announced the cast on the People's Choice Awards. Jeff Probst comes out and kind of announces it and they give a little, um, you know, preview for it. And then you see a group of them sitting in the audience, which if there's a, any question whether or not, uh, you know, Sugar changed post-show. I mean, she's uh, even though uh, we will soon learn, soon learn for her to be the first person out, she's like the most visible one you can see at the award show, just like clapping, like and smiling ear to ear, like TV, TV, film me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it was a lot of hype going into this and they really did put a lot of effort into, you know, celebrating this, the 10 year mark. I will also mention uh, another random segment that was on this. Uh, we talked about Ethan's health stuff. They did talk about his struggle against cancer as well. And 
it's sweet to see him and Jenna together, even though they are no longer. That's again another interesting time capsule back to when that relationship was happening. Did you? Did anyone watch the um, the Meet the Cast with Jenna Maraska? No, because she yeah, she she hosted that right. Like she did interviews. Right. So one of my favorite moments is like she's like she did for CBS.com or whatever. She was you know interviewing everyone, and it's kind of like Meet the Cast of Survivor, and Jenna's out there and like mingling with them, and it's always kind of weird like why exactly she's doing it. It's never really explained, but. I guess, you know, for a while there in those in those teen seasons, she was involved with CBS.com and did some of their shows. But so she's interviewing them and then she's interviewing Parvati and Parvati says something like, well, you're going to be there, right? Jenna's like, no, I wish I was. Parvati's like, wait, no, I thought you're on the cast. And Jenna's like, no, I wish. She's like, I don't believe you. Are you sure? I, I just thought you were like special. You got to ask questions. What? And so like, it's so like in this interview, go back and watch it. Parvati learns like in the interview with Jenna Maraska that Jenna no is not on the cast. <laughs> well, you know what that makes me think of when I think of Jenna is that Heidi, Heidi <laughs> would have been a great villain. Yeah, we got that. <laughs> I mean, that would have been insane though. If like Jenna was interviewing them and she's like, here's the final twist. I'm also playing, even though I interviewed all of you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, clearly we're not going to have a lot of time to go through this first episode because it's really significant. We could spend two hours just on this episode, one of my personal favorite episodes of all time. But before we sign off, I do want to talk about some of the controversy that happened before the season, or I guess it came out later. That uh, Have you guys heard this story? Let's talk about this. I know we'll get accused of bringing up conspiracy theories, but the Parvati and Russell being introduced before the season. Do you guys want to touch on that at all? Yeah, I wonder if that's why Parvati was so confused that Jenna was was in play. It's because some rules were apparently already being bent before the season as it was. Okay, explain that to people, because I don't always know the full story on this. I don't know, again, and I will say flat out, I don't know if this is true. I don't know exactly what the details of this were, but this is a story that's been going around for quite some time, almost since the season ended. Do you guys know the backstory behind this? Refresh me. It's been a while since I caught up with Renee. (laughs) What's the one where... Parvati was friends with one of the casting directors and there was pictures of Parvati and the casting director out on location before the season. And there was a rumor the director had told Parvati there's this, there's this guy named Russell. He's playing this season. And they explained like, like Parvati was the only one who knew about Russell. Do you, have you heard about that? Yeah. I remember that sugar drops in her, um, her exit press. She had made some comments about, well, Parvati knew like all about Russell. Yeah. Okay, and again, we're just relying on the memory of Sugar, which perhaps might not be the most accurate narrator. But it is, I will, just in the interest of pointing it out, it's one of these stories that's always followed heroes versus villains that people have accused that Parvati may have had some insider knowledge because Russell obviously comes in this season as a unknown. Nobody knows anything about him. Remember, they haven't watched Samoa. So nobody has any idea who he is other than he's on the villains. They don't know he hides machetes. They don't know he burns socks. And so there's been this argument over the years. Did Russell have an advantage over everybody else? Well, my stance has always been, well, duh, of course he did, because he he could do all the same shtick again and nobody knew who he was. But And in fact, he did. <laughs> yeah. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Did, did Russell have a huge advantage here? I mean, there are definitely pros and cons uh, because, you know, pro, he's able to pull out the same things. You're right. Nobody's going to be like, oh, Let's make sure that, you know, Russell's not looking for the idol. You see that firsthand in Redemption Island, where they're like, okay, we know what Russell's up to. 
and I think Russell also might have benefited from the fact that there were a lot of old schoolers on his tribe who weren't necessarily about looking for the idols as much as he was, so he was able to sort of get out on the lead on that one. On the downside, uh, you can see a definitive change in Russell, physicality-wise, uh, between, you know, his first day in Samoa and his first day in Heroes versus Villain. Considering he did it pretty much back-to-back, I mean, he looks positively emaciated by the end of it. So, while I do agree he does have an advantage in, you know, being able to pull a lot of the same tricks out, his literal body might be a disadvantage, considering how much wear and tear he already went through in this exact same location. Yeah, I think... I think people context things from the past. And so I feel like in a weird way, Russell benefited from some of the past in the sense that the first person to do this, to do a season and then to immediately do an all-star season was Rupert, right? Who's like the most benign person to do this with, right? Because like Rupert doesn't is not really a strategy hound and he just works at camp and he just kind of hopes that, you know, things will work out for him. So, you know, even in All-Stars, he's like, new strategy. It's like, there was no new strategy. He just was Rupert, right? And so, there, you know, there's all that sort of stuff. But then there's China to Micronesia. So, like, Amanda, of course, you know, Amanda was successful in both China and in Micronesia, but it, it wasn't necessarily, I, I, it wasn't necessarily due to some sort of nefarious schemes or anything like that. She's just a decent player that, you know, does pretty well and, you know, gotten the majority and all that sort of stuff. James, of course, you know, but the, obviously the Micronesian people had seen China beforehand because they were cheering James and all this sort of stuff. So, so the, the secrets out there. So I think that Russell's real counterpart for this back-to-back season stuff is Rupert. And I think everyone just, you know, they if they don't know him, they're like, oh, he, he was in the season that just played. And they were probably like, ah, he's just a guy. Mm-hmm. Did some things. You know what I mean? Whereas, like, Russell did this, like, super, you know, camp-burning, nefarious, uh, looking for idle stuff. And it's like, man, that's such an advantage that they didn't know. Yeah. I've always thought that as well. It was just kind of unfair like, because he could do the exact same stuff over, and it's the only, literally the only scenario where he could get away with that when it's back to back. Right. Well, and I mean, the argument is people always, you know, will say, um, you know, how did they not know if this guy was so crazy to crack the top five villains, you know, top five male villains of all time? They needed to know that he was insane. Okay, but you also have Candace Woodcock as a top five female hero of all time. And, oh, Danielle DiLorenzo is a top five female villain of all time. So it's like you look around and it's not like that that was one red flag in the cast. Like there was enough going on there that it was a lot was not certain. I'll describe the same point that you did, Mario, about like Parvati and Sandra not being that threatening despite being winners that – there are just so many big names in the cast that, by default, the no-name is not going to be as much of a threat now. Does Russell put a target on his back immediately with his shady actions? Absolutely, but maybe another person in his place might be able to play off their anonymity uh, to make them less of a threat in the very beginning while the right. others gun for each other. Yeah. Right. No, right off the bat, Boston Rob is the star of that tribe just because of his stance and his place in the community. So. As we see, Russell gets very jealous of that. He cannot handle Boston Rob. But yeah, right off the bat, Russell's not clearly not the biggest threat. He's just some nobody. They don't know who he is. Yeah. And 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 I think that you're right there in the sense that 
if if this is played today and Russell is on a tribe, obviously he hasn't he has the notoriety that the other people did. But the fact that he has no no notoriety right now is the advantage. Like it's it's a perfect storm for Russell in the sense that the game he played in Samoa, he is able to play again in Heroes versus Villains. And it's not just that they don't know him and he can play the game again, but he's playing this All Star season where all of these All Stars are uh, successful, you know, survivor personalities who are like you know, into their own shtick. So like, you know, they're, they're looking at other bigger names to fry other bigger fish to fry. Whereas, you know, if this is a season with newbies or, you know, uh, a lesser notoriety type thing as this ultimate all-star season, I think that, you know, people might pay him a little more attention. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, that's one. Yeah. At the time, that's one thing I think people have to keep in context is that Russell might as well, might as well have been Brett. Like they had no idea who this person is. He's just an, some interloper in the survivor community. They've never even seen him before. Yeah, the, the, it's it's that audience irony in the sense that we, the audience, know Russell because mm-hmm. we all saw Samoa and everything like that. And it's literally like watching a horror movie. Don't go in the closet. Don't mm-hmm. go in there. No, the, the killer's in there. You know, it's like we know and they don't know. You know, and and again, it's like with Rupert. It's like they don't know Rupert super well in all stars, but it's like, okay, come on. It's Rupert. Yeah. He's not doing a whole ton, but Russell (laughs) is Russell is Russell and Russell does Russell things. And that was a big deal. Like the only way Russell does that makes two finals back to back with the strategy that he employs is literally this scenario. Yeah. All right. With that being said, I believe this is going to be the first podcast where we don't actually get into an episode. And I, I, I'm so glad I watched them. You know, <laughs> you know I was going to say on one hand, I kind of feel guilty, but on the other hand, I think we had a really good discussion and I think we really contextualize a lot of this, how heroes versus villains would have been seen at that time and people going into it. And again, this was a big season at the time. I don't, it was nowhere near as big as all stars was, but you know, over time this has grown to be like, as people would say, the peak of what survivor is. So, you know, I, it's one of these sorry, not sorry thing. I'm sorry we didn't get to an episode, but I think we gave you a lot of content and hopefully you guys felt this was a, uh, a valuable episode to sit through, even though there's no episodes. I mean, hopefully we've set you up for this great big topsy turvy season where, you know, heroes will become villains, where villains will become heroes, where Sari will be voted out early, where Parvati will lose a jury vote yet somehow become the greatest player of all time. It's just a weird topsy-turvy season and there's so much to get into, but we're just not going to do it in this episode. I, I'm sorry about that. And no matter what, even if you do complain, that makes you a hero because you spoke your truth. That's true. Just like Paul, our hero, Mr. Drunk Paul over there. Oh, I don't know if it's the wine or the bungee jumping feeling again. <laughs> God, the podcast is getting the best of him, too. You guys are dropping like flies. Oh, no, double medevac. <laughs> How's your knee, Paul? <laughs> Paul's never less left the house. His knee is in perfect, pristine birth condition. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you guys have anything else to add? We're basically just stalling for time now. Uh, you got weekend plans? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Yeah, that's that that's what the, that's what the historians needs. Like more just like sense. Yeah, more chat. filler, please. Uh, I mean I'm I'm excited to eventually get into episode one in particular. I believe it's the only like 
two-hour non-finale episode. Uh, actually, no, I, I feel like there's there there might have been some other two-hour episodes. That was like the first time they really did this. That it wasn't like two, you know, two three-day cycles in one. Where again, just showing how big this season is, we got so much out of that first episode to the point where it's still considered one of the best premieres ever. And I mean. This gets off to a rock and start between, you know, everything in the first episode. You have the unfortunate stuff that befalls Stephanie and James in the second episode. You've got, you know, the formation of the Russell versus Rob rivalry that takes over the pre-merge. I mean, I'll say it again. This pre-merge is absolute fire. And I'm excited to uh, get the kindling going, uh, even though Rupert will yell at me for making the fire wrong. <laughs> yeah, I was going to... Excuse me. <clears throat> Yeah, I was going to say my personal opinion on this season is that it starts really strong. I love the premiere, one of my favorite episodes ever. I think I, in funny 115 terms, I have 11 entries just from that one episode. It's like the most prominent episode I've ever had on the funny 115 because so many big things are happening in it. I think the season is fun for about two, three more episodes, and then it kind of, in my opinion, it collapses under the weight of just Russell and idols and Russell and poverty and Russell and Russell and idols. And I kind of get bored of it. And I've I've always I'm very curious if my opinion is going to change this time, because it's my opinion that the season starts strong. And I don't I'm not as high on the pre-merge as Mike is. I think it's kind of a middling season once it tapers off after about three episodes. But then I think that's got such a strong ending that I think it gets saved and people remember it as being better than it is. So before we go into the episodes, that's where I stand. And I'm very curious to see if my opinion will change. It's a really good episode of Survivor. It really is. <laughs> but I mean, Survivor All Stars episode one. Yeah, it was great. It was great. You yeah. know, and and it, it sort of just shows you that like when Survivor wants to be, it can be really good. Yeah, they know how to celebrate their big seasons. They know how to start it off with a bang. And even even the weakest Survivor season, I think, is generally has a pretty good premiere. Not everyone, but for the most part, they know how to start a season. But that will be the the big question here. If you think Heroes versus Villains keeps up that momentum through the season or not, I've always argued it doesn't. I know many many people who argue that it does. That it's fantastic the entire season. So it'll be interesting to see where our thoughts uh, diverge here. But you know that's several episodes from now. Yeah, yeah that, that's <laughs> the three podcasts from now. Yeah, that's at least three Jay Fisher breakdowns from now. I know. <laughs> All right. Anything else to add before we sign off on this very odd Thanksgiving podcast here? No. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad we have uh, enhanced your knowledge of not a single episode of Survivor Heroes versus Villains. We will try to have a quick turnaround so we can get into this and actually get into the episodes. I'm very excited to get into this first one where literally Stephanie's shoulder is broken five minutes into the episode <laughs> or dislocated. Anyway, we got a lot of fun stuff happening. Um, again, thank you as always for choosing us to be your guides through Survivor history before we hand the baton over to RHAP full time. But we're still hanging in there. And we're doing our best. And anything else you guys want to say before we sign off? Nope. No. <laughs> All right, we're going to have the hardest time putting a stinger for this episode, Mike, because I have there's no sound clips. Uh, I'm cutting to Jeff's assessment of Sugar, Danielle, and Candace. You better believe it. <laughs> okay. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. Thank you for listening. We'll hear you, see you, uh, talk to you in a couple weeks. Uh, that's our sign off. I will start over because I, I fucked it up. Because Jay was not. <laughs> yeah, her. Sorry. Well, you well you did your your ending. Like, I know. As... I screwed it up. I screwed it yeah, up. Like... It's, it's throwing me off here. Yeah, and you you did your ending, and then you like questioned it at the end. <laughs> 
That's how I throw to you, Jay. It's a question mark. All right. So, as always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. I'm Mike Bloom. I'm Paul Oslison. And we will talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening, and see you in a couple of weeks for part two, a.k.a. episode one. Bye. Sugar is an interesting choice for Hero because she gave us another dimension. Sugar's whole game was, I want good people to win. So by definition, she is a heroine because she wants goodness. And she did her best to get bad people out of the game. And I think Sugar is back to try and make that happen again. Sugar's probably the type that would say, I don't care if I win as long as somebody on my tribe of heroes does. I think Danielle could last for a while. What Danielle is really good at is aligning with the right people and then staying out of the way. And like she did in her season, she got down to a situation where she knew she was going to be in a tiebreaker. She needed to know how to make fire. Terry helped her make fire. And then she betrayed him and voted him out and cost him a million bucks. That makes her a villain and I'd say makes her a decent threat to be in this game way past the merge. Candace, I think, is a surprise to a lot of people. I think most people probably don't even know who I am. Mutiny is a big thing. Nobody had ever done it before Candace, and nobody had ever done it since. And it was, if you don't like the tribe you're on, step off the mat. She stepped off the mat, and the reason being was, I belong on that tribe. That's who I want to win with. That's who I'm loyal to. They need me. We saw that as heroic. A lot of people see a mutiny as villainous. In this case, we didn't.